the Augustin Hosinga show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 692. This is 692 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope this podcast is finding you well, wherever you may be. I hope this podcast is finding you well, wherever you may be. How am I? You know how it is, living well, living well, doing the best I can with the time I have available. I have, um, just before I press record, I actually did happen to apply some much needed moisturizer to my lips. So if you're seeing them a little bit shiny as you're watching the camera right now, then I do apologize. If you listen to this video audio platform, you just hear the splittering and splashering of my very succulent, very moisturized lips. And I don't apologize that for this, you know, in any way, shape or form, because, hey, you got to keep your lips somewhat moisturized. But apart from that, I've been fairly fine. Cannot complain. It's been a bit quiet these last few weeks. I've been locking down, doing some things I need to be doing off stream and whatnot, you know, handling all of that malarkey, life admin stuff. Um, did have some good news actually the other day. Um, you know, had a little tax refund pop through the letterbox, which was nice. For some reason, everybody on social media was sharing little screen grabs of their like, um, you know, HMRC tax refund that they were getting for paying too much tax the previous year from April to April, right? Of like, um, what you call it, last year to this year. And everyone was sharing little screenshots of what they got. And some people were basically sharing screenshots that they owed the government money. That you know that they were that they didn't pay enough tax, and some people were showing, hey, I got a tax refund, and I was one of the fortunate ones to get a tax refund, which is nice, which means that you know, it's you know, it's not money that is uh crazy, but it's money that I can at least put towards an up and coming trip that I'm going to be doing. So I plan to be going to Berlin sometime. I think in August. That's the plan. Just to have a little nice weekend over there. So that will probably go to just, you know, having money for that. Making sure I get my flight sorted out. Making sure I have accommodation. I could probably get everything in one, to be honest. I could get my flights, my accommodation, my gear. And that's about it. Yeah, I could probably do all that. And then obviously, whatever I earn between then and now can be done for spending money, which is pretty decent. Because the one thing that I don't do anymore with holidays, because I used to do it before. Whenever I used to book trips and holidays, sometimes, and I don't do it, again, I've, I'm changed, I've, I'm a, I'm an evolved human now, I'm way more mature, but in the past, what I used to do is that I would spend the money that I got paid the month before to pay for my holiday and my spending money. So then by the time I came back, I'd have absolutely nothing. Unless I went for a month, if I went for two weeks or one week, I'd come back with like zero dollars, right? Or I'd come back and have zero dollars in my account because I literally spent whatever the previous month was on that, you know, whatever it may be, holiday coming up. But obviously the smart way to do holidays is to book them in advance and then, you know, 
pay off stuff in advance or put money away for certain things or whether it's like you know 100 pound every time you get paid or 100 pound every week whatever for you for spending money or if it means actually booking the accommodation way ahead of time so that when it comes around you've got all this kind of extra sort of like monopoly money that you use for holiday because the one thing you don't want to be doing when you're going on a trip or a vacation is to start like penny pinching and start acting like you're at home because when you're at home you can penny pinch you can make fucking 20 quid stretch toy days and whatnot but when you're abroad you kind of just want to be free and loose you want to give people tips and shit you want to feel like the dang gorgan you want to feel like flipping teflon don ricky ross coming through with the belvedere and the big gut smiling talking about peaches and plums and pears you know what i mean that's what you want to do you don't want to be like oh look in your pocket i wonder if i got that many euros like i've never been that kind of guy i'd rather stay at home but that's a mindset thing as well i remember growing up i was always that guy growing up i would never like to go to house parties or to go to any sort of function unless i had like a good little 5 10 20 something in my pocket i'm not going there with coins but i want some money in my pocket so that i can go home if i want to i can get my own drink I can buy my own food, right? I, I can do something with that money as opposed to just standing there and doing what some of my other friends would do where you're just holding another man's pockets. Do you know what I mean? Or you're holding his wallet, like figuratively and metaphorically. Like, and I can't do that at all. I'm always literally and metaphorically, but I can't do that at all, zero. I have to kind of spend my own way. So when I go on vacation, one of the things I like to do is to make sure that I have everything sorted out up there and I make sure my pocket's all good so I can go ahead and have a good time. So that tax refund that I got, super happy about it. So I'm going to be using that for my trips coming up. So that's pretty nice. What's happened? That's been about it really, to be fair. I've been most of the thing, it does the news online and shit. I've been keeping an eye out for a course of the main night takeover and sale talk, but nothing has been done on that side. We've still been getting loads of propaganda about Mason Mount. I think most people have seen now the Mason Mount signing, as much as it was a Ten Hag signing, there's rumours out there, well not rumours, but it's been kind of confirmed that Ten Hag has been a fan of Mason Mount since I think he went on loan to another Dutch club and, you know, Eric Ten Hag was the manager of Ajax at the time. He wanted to get him at this at Ajax when he was there. So clearly he's been watching him for a while and he rates him. And if you listen to the things coming out from Mason Mount's camp, they were, you know, um, convinced to join United and to leave Chelsea because of the enthusiasm that Eric Ten Hag had towards Mason Mount and the role that he could play in the team. So clearly, 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 he has a really big plan for the guy. So fair enough, isn't it? Like, managers have to live and die by the signings that they do. If he thinks he's his guy, cool. I'm a little bit annoyed that he gave him a number seven shirt, but, you know, numbered shirts these days don't mean what they used to mean. A lot of teams now just use them as, like, kind of branding, marketing you know, type of things, promo, social media shit. And judging by how much Mason Mount content has now flooded the flipping Man United Twitter and social media platforms, you can see quite clearly, as much as it's a Eric Ten Hag signing based on his football ability, it's also clearly a signing that's been made um, because he fits well on social media. Do you know what I mean? He looks the part, um, he's English and stuff, you know, marquee English signing, all that good stuff. They love it. Um, cheeky chappy blah 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 all that all that bullshit so that's obviously going to work so it kind of is what it is it's a bit disappointing but I think as a United fan we kind of know what to do is when it comes to our club and um, that's been about it for the most part it's not been that much going on I feel like there's a few things happening there's obviously a Berlin Pride happening next week there's a few parties here happening in London that I probably might have to go to um, and that's about it I can't really think of much oh wait culturally actually there's um, Barbie and Oppenheimer 
hopefully going to be seeing that in a couple of weeks um, back to back so that should be good to kind of check out what those movies are about and see what the hype is most likely we'll end up doing Oppenheimer the first then Barbie you know have a bit of a downer then obviously have a little bit of an upper in terms of the Barbie movie at the end but I'm looking forward to both movies and seeing um, if they eventually live up to the hype I have a feeling Barbie will I think Oppenheimer is hard to get wrong, to be fair. Um, you know, it's hard to, to fuck up that kind of movie, in my personal opinion. Um, that's a, what, Christopher Nolan movie, right? So it's, I, I don't think so. he's going to mess that one up. And then, of course, Barbie, I also don't think it's going to be messed up. It's pretty hard to get that sort of movie, um, you know, no, not to work, especially based on all the little screen grabs I've seen and shit. I think they've probably done a good job on that one. So that should be pretty decent going forward. But that's been about it for the most part. Oh, and... Actually, just touching upon this, I've been watching this new TV series um, out now on Apple. I'm not too sure if you guys have seen it or if you care. It's called Hijack, starring Idris Elba. And it's interesting because I felt like Idris is not at the age yet to be making series or movies like this. You know, well, it's like a series, but you know, whatever. Um, you'd think that he's, you know, there's a little bit more time left in his flipping heyday at the top of his game before he starts making these type of derivative sort of tv series that you people usually make towards the end of their career when they're just trying to stack up the paper they don't really care too tough um and they just want to you know make some money and shit but i have to be honest it's pretty decent the premise around it is pretty self-explanatory um idris elba um stars as this very mysterious um character you're not too sure if he's in law enforcement you're not too sure if he's in a secret service um he's kind of covering the show is that he works as a sort of like a fixer type person i think or something towards that where he can, I've, no, I've, no he works as a person who comes in and essentially um helps to sort out companies when they're going through um, bankruptcy when they have to file those with people he's the kind of person they kind of get in to make sure everybody is calm and chilled and doesn't basically shoot the place up that's kind of his cover um and he's divorced from his wife um they have a really nice apartment or house somewhere in london that looks really good clearly could they come from money so you're not really too sure if that's the cover story is real and obviously he travels a lot which may have led to the divorce of his wife you're not really too sure don't really say too much about it but essentially he's on a plane going back to his wife who's now moved on. He doesn't want to accept that she's moved on, even though they're divorced. And in the process of that flight, the plane gets hijacked. And um, the premise behind it is basically him trying to figure out a way that he gets back home without, you know, basically anything cr crazy going on and trying to basically befriend the hijackers and shit or whatever, maybe. Not going to spoil much of it else, but it's a pretty decent show. I'm not going to lie. Um, again, I'm very basic b-i-t-c-h when it comes to my tv shows and movies in some regard some of the genres of things that i'm interested in some of the things that i like overall most people probably won't really give a crap about i get that obviously idris being the actor he is he really sells this and um, he's a big part of why this does really well because he's just gives such a great performance like he can do these type of things in his sleep pretty sure so that pretty much works really well for him but i do recommend it if you have struggled for stuff to watch like i always say this before my thing is this, right? I know some of you kind of, you know, will scoff at this, but I feel like a lot of us waste our time, myself included. I waste a lot of my time watching and doing things that I probably shouldn't be doing. And there is a real lack of good programming content out there, myself included. There's a real lack of it, right? This is why I'm here, right? So because of that, there, I think the bar of like good content is really low. So for you to be deemed as good content in my eyes, 
all you have to do is pass a certain threshold. If you're good enough to watch on a casual Saturday afternoon, on a casual Sunday evening, on a casual weekday, we've got nothing else to watch, and I am not kind of like drawn to immediately grab my phone, I'm not drawn to immediately open a new tab, then you've won. You're a successful show in my regard because that's usually my barometer or my gauge of if a show is good or not. Did I go straight to my phone because I'm bored? Did I go straight to social media? Did I open a new tab? Am I now listening to something else? That usually tells me everything I need to know about how good or bad a show is. So I feel like this show has done pretty, pretty, pretty well in terms of providing um, a decent kind of who done it are they going to figure out who's uh what they're after will the plane land safely backstory blah 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 there's a there's a few naff pieces here and there about who's the person that eventually rumbles it and finds out from air traffic control what's going on it's a little bit you know cliche a little bit girl bossy but that aside it's a really good show, and I really reckon you watch it. The only thing I'd say is a little bit concerning for me, and it's just my kind of macabre, wanting ultra-realistic depictions of stuff, and maybe because I'm a fan of series like Gomorrah and how they, you know, really, really accurately, I feel like, described and, you know, displayed how it is to work within the drug trade, especially in the kind of, quote-unquote, modern era. There is a real lack of deaths in Hijack. That's the only thing I'd say. As a slight kind of like, you know, negative on the show, there's a real lack of deaths. Not enough people are dying on this show. Um, that needs to be kind of upped a little bit to make it a little bit more realistic. But apart from that, I like it. I enjoy it. Check it out. Available on Apple TV and all the other places where you kind of check out shows and whatnot. But I have definitely, definitely enjoyed it. Um, what people saying in the chat? Big up everybody in the chat hanging in there. I appreciate you guys. Him and Lufo was really good. I agree. Nani Day Fiance. Yeah, exactly. Don't. I, I don't have a problem with those shows. I don't personally watch them because I'm just not a fan of reality TV. Um, but I completely understand why people are so enamored with like Nani Day Fiance, Real Housewife franchise, Vanderpump Rules, Below Deck, Love Island. Because at least you know what you're getting. It doesn't try to like pretend to be anything highfalutin. They're not trying to educate you. They're not trying to tell you something about the world. They're just trying to provide you with unadulterated trash content that's entertaining for like an hour. That's all they want to give you. They don't want to give you anything else. And obviously something to talk about at the walk court. Because sometimes also you miss with a lot of these good TV series. I've noticed there are some shows that are good, but you don't care about talking about it with your colleagues at work. Like Ozark's a good example. Ozark was pretty decent. But are you really on a coffee, you know, over the flipping water cooler with your colleagues at work or in a pub with your friends really debating about the ins and outs of Ozark? Not really. It's not as good as Sopranos. It's good enough, but it's, these, but it's not good enough to really extend beyond that conversation. So 90 Day Fiance, you know, um, all these things, they do a really good job at providing you with good content that does exactly what it says in the tin. It's not trying to be highbrow or anything. And it also gives you something to talk about with your friends, which is really important. And talk about on social media. Um, uh, big up Hasib. Hasib also said there's no good content. Um, I go, but when you go live, we're all here. Yeah, big up Hasib. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Yeah, no, to be fair, look, I'm, I'm just providing my service that I provide online. And I've said this from the beginning. Um, I kind of like compare it to how I enjoy other contents online, other bits of content online. I want to be the best kind of person who provides, you know, I want to be the best background content provider in the world. 
That's all I want, really and truly. Because I don't feel like I really, you know, I'm not Joe Rogan out here. I don't deserve your undivided three-hour attention talking about fucking world issues. I'm not that guy. But I'm going to give you a decent enough show for a couple of hours that you can stick on in the background while you do your little chores around the house, while you walk your dog, while you jack off, while you play video games, whatever. Do you know what I mean? That's all I want to do. And if I can do that, I'm fine. But I'm also, you know, very aware that overall content isn't that great so when i'm recommending shows i don't want to sell you down a river and tell you oh this thing is as good as breaking bad this thing is as good as sopranos and shit no 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 it's good it's to watch enough but don't like you know judge it on those sort of barometers or those sort of levels that's basically it in my humble opinion but again hey what do i know what do i know next going on talk about this quickly so as most of you would know instagram um aka meta announced and launched threads which i spoke about before on the podcast and essentially it was billed as the t twitter killer where basically instagram were creating their own version of twitter and it was an interesting thing to do because i feel like the timing was expertly done because i feel like it was announced a while ago but i feel like they pushed it a bit forward or rushed it to kind of get launched because of all the shenanigans happening over on twitter where elon is basically throwing loads of stuff at the wall trying to see what sticks but obviously, it's all happening in real time. Plus, he's also not the most likable person in the world. So people are a little bit angsty about Twitter. So they're jumping on Blue Sky. They're going on that other app. I forgot what it's called. I think it's called like Spill. That's meant to be like the black Twitter version of Twitter and shit. Everyone's kind of trying to find a place that they can go to that they can kind of get their tweets off that isn't Twitter. And then I think Instagram did a really good thing because I've always thought to myself, because I jumped on Twitter so late, I know that I'm not unique in that. I know there are some people out there that have Instagrams and have no no interest in having a Twitter whatsoever because I was like that for a while. I didn't even have one to browse on. I mean, I think I had one as like a feed that I used to kind of just push out my, you know, podcast episodes and shit, but I didn't really engage in it in the slightest whatsoever. And I know a lot of people do the same thing. So it was very smart of Twitter, sort of Instagram, to develop their own Twitter-like platform because they know they've got a lot of users on the app specifically who would never sign up to Twitter anyway, which is probably why that app little update thing that I saw that I thought was terrible, that one where if you go on your DMs, there's like this little status update thing where people can write little things. I don't know what people write on there. Their fucking dear diary thoughts, who gives a fuck? But people like, you know, think everyone gives a shit about what they have to say. But those things are really popular. Like if I go on my DMs now, I can see loads of people that I follow who have updates on their statuses and shit. So clearly it's something that a lot of people did. So I think they recognized it, saw the gap in the market and capitalized on it. And then they rushed it forward or brought it forward the release date and now everyone's jumped on it. The one thing I've noticed straight away, though, looking at the app, just in terms of, um, you know, uh, what, how would you call it? In terms of how it just looks, right? It's very well done. It's a very beautifully designed, I have to say that. Um, it kind of gives me the idea of, like, your standard Instagram square, but then imagine the square that you usually put your pictures or your videos or your reels is now just a place where you write your tweets kind of thing. And then the comments are essentially thread replies you know on the twitter that's basically how it looks but they've done it in a really clever way very clean way i like how it's done and i think if anything also it kind of jumps upon the trend of people i feel like i feel like twitter's instagram's turned in a lot like like a blog now it's become a lot like blogger where people are having like debates in the comments like going back and forth like someone will post like a topic 
And then, of course, because on Instagram, there's no links, right? So you can't really link out to another t- article. So you just sort of kind of try and surmise the article you're talking about in your little box. Then people kind of comment on it in the comments, in the replies. So I feel like Twitter, Instagram, sorry, I keep saying Twitter, has done a really good thing in terms of jumping on that because there's a lot of conversation that happens on Instagram that doesn't really get out to places because people don't really look at the comments as much as probably I do. Because I love looking at the comments and stories and seeing what people are saying and shit, engage the temperature. Um, yes, Justin Tashki is a separate app. That's what, that's what I'm going to jump on just now. The only thing I'd say is a little bit iffy about it, it doesn't really work, is the requirement for it to be a separate app. That's the only thing that's weird in my regard. I think having to download a completely separate app, as you can see there, it's a little app that you got there, is strange. There's no like tab that you can kind of flick over onto your main Instagram that does it. Don't get me wrong, the sign-up process is really good and very clean. Very, very good and very clean. Um, so very clean, very easy, whatever, you know, in terms of using it. You don't have to do crazy shit. You're not having to take a picture of yourself and whatever, take a picture of your passport. It's very easy to kind of use it and it kind of links to your already Instagram profile you already have. So you have to, and you basically have to have an Instagram profile to have a Fred's profile, which is a little bit annoying in itself because I thought I would be able to get a Fred's um, profile URL that wasn't mine, like a different one. But I have to set up another Instagram profile. Do you know what I mean? That's the thing that kind of got you in a bit of a walled garden in that regards. But the process is easy to sign up. And obviously the, you know, is it the UI, UX? I think it's called user interface. Or do you, let's just say UX. UX, I think, is user design. is really nice. And I guess the UX is, is, is the user interface or US or whatever is really nice also. UX and UI is really decent on the app itself. So I don't really mind it overall. So let's quickly read the article here, um, courtesy of Meta. It says, um, da, 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 da. Mark Zuckerberg has announced the initial version of Fred's an app built by Instagram team for sharing with text. Whether you're a creator or a casual poster, Fred's offers a new separate space for real-time updates and public conversations. We're working towards making Fred's compatible with the open, interplorable social networks that we believe can shape the future of the internet. Oh, actually, I take that back. I take that back. This might not be what I'm seeing in the comments because there's definitely a... Because com- I follow a lot of like you know, techno pages, a lot of fashion pages, a lot of streetwear pages, a lot of sneaker pages. And there's obviously a lot of debate around shit, right? When stuff is dropping, I don't like this design. That thing is crap. That is good. Why did this person get a collab? Why is this person playing here? All that sort of debate happens in the comments quite often, right? Cool. But I've noticed with myself in my own Instagram, I use Instagram mostly for the stories. And when I'm posting on stories, Either I'm kind of spam posting pictures and using it like a like a Tumblr, uploading stuff I found online and memes and shit, or I'm like taking a picture and then like writing some text, like a commentary or something. Oh, this and shit happened, blah blah blah, right? And usually people with hearts in a DM reply, but that's what I'm usually kind of doing. So maybe Instagram has noticed people do that a lot, and they said, hey, rather than put it on your stories. We want more engagement on the feed. So we're going to give you a separate app where you can kind of get your thoughts off via the threads, via the kind of text-based kind of platform. That makes a lot more sense. I kind of get that now. It continues. Instagram, where billions of people around the world connect over photos and video. Our vision with threads is to take what Instagram does best and expand it to text, creating positive, creative space to express your ideas, just like on Instagram. With threads, you can follow and connect with friends and creators who share your interests, including people you follow on Instagram and beyond. And you can use your existing suite of safety and user controls. Join the conversation, it says here. You can see what it looks like. You see what someone's profile looks like on there. 
basically similar to your Instagram profile, um, but just a little bit more cleaned up, um, a little bit more stripped back. Um, obviously, you see how people are replying here on the threads with the little replies on each comment, which is pretty decent on there. Um, everyone who's under 16 will be defaulted to private profile, which is pretty nice in terms of safety. Um, turn out the noise. We built threads with tools to enable positive, productive conversations. You can control who can mention you or reply to you within your threads. Lovely. Nice. Feels like fucking Russia. Um, like on Instagram, you can add hidden words to filter out replies on your threads that contain specific words. You can unfollow, block, restrict, or report a profile on threads by tapping the free dot menu and any accounts you've blocked on Instagram automatically blocked on threads. So perfect, right? If you're coming from that side of things. As of all our products, we're taking safety seriously and we'll enforce community guidelines and the content traction on, on the app. Since 2016, we invested more than 16 billion in building up teams and technologies needed to protect our users. 16 billion to protect users. God damn it. Compatible with interplorable networks, activity power, blah, blah, blah. But you get the gist. One thing I've noticed with this, right, is that it's not an Instagram killer. Have you noticed that? I think we've reached a stage in social media platforms or in apps in general where wherever you're on, you're on. If you're on TikTok, you're on TikTok. If you're on Instagram, you're on Instagram. But you're not going to suddenly ditch one for another. Like, I think the people that are on TikTok now were never going to be long-term Instagram users. They were always looking for, like, a TikTok-y type platform because if you go on TikTok and see some of the trending stuff on there, the content is very special. And I say that in the most kindest way possible, I can say, right? It's a very special type of person that makes native content for TikTok, right? Cool. That person you are never going to find on Instagram. You may have found them on Facebook or whatever, or you may have found them on some random forum, but they needed that app. So I feel like nowadays, people are going to be more drawn to the apps that they want to be drawn to, but you're not really going to get what we had before where certain apps were knocking other apps off their perch. That's not a thing. Either you're for the app or you're not. The people that are on like Blue Sky or Reason, all these other fucking apps, they're going to be on there, or like Truth Social, they're obviously always going to be on there. The same goes for people who stream on like Rumble and Kick and shit. They're always going to be those type of guys. So the, the era of like, oh, this is a something killer, it's completely gone. Whatever you like, you like, and you're just going to stick with it for the most part. For me, I downloaded it, I grabbed my fucking account and shit, but I haven't interacted with it since I downloaded it. I don't really give a fuck, to be honest, and most likely I'll probably end up deleting it from my phone until they end up figuring out a way to integrate threads with Instagram, like how um, Uber, Uber did with Uber Eats. There was a period in time where you had to download separate apps, but now, if I'm not mistaken, through the Uber app, you can have Uber Eats also, and I think vice versa. So that obviously is something that a lot of people would kind of prefer as opposed to having two separate apps on your phone, taking up storage, data, privacy information, blah, 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 blah. But um, so far, so good. I still would say my long-term bet is still going to be on Elon. I feel like Elon is still going to figure out Twitter because I feel like Twitter, for the most part, people don't give Twitter enough praise. Because Twitter, for the most part, especially under Jack Dorsey's tutelage or leadership, was very much a platform where they tended to kind of skew a certain political direction, right? Um, they had a particular sort of worldview. If you didn't kind of link towards it, you kind of got you know taken down and deleted very, very quickly. Banned, blocked, shadow banned, whatever it may be. And it survived and thrived in that era. People were annoyed by it, but you kind of worked around the issues. 
And I feel like now, because it's the wild, wild west, and maybe it kind of skews another way politically, it's still surviving. So I think Twitter kind of survives despite all the censorship, all the left-leaning stuff, all the right-leaning stuff, all the nonsense, all the porn. It just always ends up kind of chugging along. And I just think because Elon, you know, had to pay over the nose for it, he's going to try and make it work. I feel like if you would have got a bargain for it, you would have treated it like his plaything. Like maybe like he treats the boring company and just did whatever he wanted to do with it. But because he paid so much for it and people would, you know, people way smarter than I am say he overpaid for it with it paying, I think, 44 billion for the app. I think he's going to try and make it work. And I'm definitely going to say, I think long-term Twitter will still be here. The same way Snapchat still be still here. There are kids who use Snapchat who don't use TikTok. That's the thing. So I think people really underestimate the power or the kind of um, loyalty that some people have to their apps. I don't think it's as easy to kind of perch, jump somebody off of their perch or something, you know, or push somebody off their perch. It's not that easy. It was maybe in the past, personally speaking. But again, that's me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just a random guy on the internet talking out of my bubbly ass. So next on the list here to talk about, I'll quickly want to mention this. This is regarding Drake's tour that he's currently on. Um, it's going pretty well, to be completely fair. And one thing that's been really awesome to see about Drake's tour is that how he's been able to honor Virgil Abloh. During his stop over at Chicago, he commissioned this pretty cool, pretty cool statue of Virgil that was um, built and flipping installed into the stadium where he played in Chicago, basically for to ceiling that basically depicts Virgil in the iconic um, picture of him throwing the paper plane down the runway um, during his first, you know, Louis Vuitton men's Paris Fashion Week show that he did. The iconic one where he walks down the Paris Fashion Week show and he hugs um, Kanye at the end and he's crying. The one that's like a kaleidoscope, like a rainbow on, on the floor, right? It's a really iconic moment for him. And he really, really, really um, dedicated this to him in a really cool way because number one, the sculpture's done really well. He actually kind of looks like Virgil. Um, most of these kind of sculpture type things end up looking horrible so every commission to kind of get it done did a really good job um the detailing it looks amazing um during the show the paper airplane itself kind of flies off out of his hand um as he's performing and there's also the added detail of him adding um Virgil Abloh kind of designed off whites um you know that he's kind of wearing their air force ones also that looks completely completely awesome I really do like that and it's a real credit to Drake because you know it's pretty obvious that Virgil and Kanye weren't too cool, right? Weren't too cool when they when he passed. Unfortunately, so despite how you know monumental and you know and integral they were to both of their careers and what they did to culture, they clearly fell out along the way. And it's been really sad as a kind of Kanye fan and a Virgil fan to see that they weren't as cool as I thought they were to the point where you know it came out that he wasn't, you know, Kanye wasn't invited to Virgil's private funeral. He wasn't allowed to speak at the public funeral that he was invited to. And clearly ever since then, a lot of the family haven't really come out of their way to really, you know, say anything nice about Ye in any way, shape or form. And he hasn't really gone out of his way either to really honour his friend who played an integral role in his success or whatever it may be. We've not really heard him really speak glowingly about him since his passing in any way, shape or form at all, which has been really disappointing. But, for whatever reason, Virgil, even though he met Drake way later in his career, it feels like he had a stronger connection with him and has kind of gone out of his way to honour him way more than Ye has, which has been quite nice to see, to be fair. Um, he's really kind of done a good job 
in sort of like reminding everybody of his kind of influence, his legacy, and kind of, you know, putting that front and center out there, which has been cool to see because you feel like, as bad as it is to say, because obviously you don't want to put those thoughts out there, but if roles were reversed and Drake was the one that passed, you know, touch wood, that doesn't happen anytime soon, you know Virgil will be going, you know, be going ham for him in terms of honoring him and making sure the culture knows, hey, this guy was important, this guy was valued, bloody blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's cool to see it kind of being reciprocated in that regard. And again, I just like it because, again, it's Chicago, it's his hometown, it's a nice little, you know, it's a nice little kind of reminder of kind of like the tie-in that Drake has with that state um, because of, you know, the, the influence of of Virgil and flipping Kanye and his career and whatnot. And with it just being a one-stop kind of, you know, location thing, I think that was a great way to kind of honor him in that regard and kind of keep it pushing. So I, I really do see that. Um, Natashki is saying here, the man didn't kill cancer. Why does he need a statue? No, you're right. I, I think if you don't care about fashion and clothes, this is going to seem weird to you. But to me, to being a fan of the guy, I completely understand it. Um, I feel like if you don't have an interest in that sort of stuff, it's going to look like a bit much. But I feel like for it just being like a one-off thing um, for a couple of dates in Chicago, um, you know, Virgil's obviously from Chicago. Kanye is obviously from Chicago. Virgil played a big part in, you know, Drake's career and success and his design and his music and his outlook and shit. You know, he obviously famously helped to design the airplane that he flipping um, rides in when he goes on tour and whatnot. Cool. So that connection is pretty decent. And it's just a good way to kind of remind somebody of, you know, or to kind of honor somebody's legacy without it just being a kind of cringy montage kind of thing you put on the screens or so. So I don't really mind it too tough, but I can understand if you see it as a statue being somewhat symbolic of somebody that meant a lot in culture and you don't really see that much, you know, what you call it, meaning in Virgil or what he's kind of contributed into society overall. I can see it being a little bit much, but I don't know. I just see it as kind of like a, an, a piece of art that happens to be a sculpture as opposed to it being a statue of somebody very important, right? That kind of is how I see it. I see like a sculpture that you maybe see in an art gallery or you might see in a public space somewhere, that kind of way, as opposed to a statue, you know, depicting a famous conqueror or something like that. Maybe, maybe, but hey, you know, what do I know when it comes to that sort of stuff? Um, so that's been pretty decent to see um, during Drake's show. One other thing that's not been cool to see, though, has been the performances. I'm not going to lie. It's been a little bit underwhelming. Um, the first thing that I don't really mind too tough is the hologram. The hologram that Drake's got up on stage while he kind of reads and does his little poem thing on the couch is pretty decent because a lot of people have been really confused. Is this a hologram? Is this real? Is this not? Because in one period of the show, before Drake goes to sit down, the hologram basically hands him this new book of poems that Drake is is kind of releasing or has out at the moment to kind of preempt his album drop. So thinking, hold on, how can a hologram hand you a book? Then he sits down and starts reading it next to the hologram and the hologram sort of like nodding along to the things that he's saying and shit. So that's pretty decent what they've done there. And I love how they've not even tried to explain what's going on in terms of technology or what's being used. Is it just a person there that has, um, what you call it? That has a that has a uh, green screen face on or something. We don't really know. But either way, it's pretty spooky. I'll play a bit of the clip for you here. Clips aren't really playing, but hey, you can see here. You can see it for the most part. You get an operation right, he's moving around doing whatever he's doing. But the only thing that I don't like about the whole thing is the performances. 
the performances of Drake on the stage are very, very underwhelming. I have to be completely honest in this regard. Um, he essentially um, is just acting like the hype man of his own tracks, if that makes any sense. I'm surprised by it because I assume Drake would be one of those performance performance performers sorry um similar to Kanye because he's seen Kanye do it live and he's been there with him performing sometimes where you see that Kanye kind of like has no vocal backing track when he's performing and he's rapping every single word he's fucking going for it but Drake in this regard is acting like the hype man for his own flipping shows and just kind of like ad-libbing on whatever's being said I'll actually, when I do the clips later of the show, I'll probably put a little clip of it somewhere in here so you can see what I'm talking about because, you know, my computer's not great in terms of playing clips. But you'll be able to see what I mean. Like, it's not the greatest. I have to be honest. It really does look bizarre how he's kind of performing on this show and how he's kind of doing it. I'm not really the biggest fan of it. It kind of looks a little bit underwhelming in that respect. And you have to imagine paying the price that you're paying to see him perform on stage and then seeing him essentially just jump around um, on the stage and sort of like, yeah, and point at people and kind of say a couple of words here and there is a little bit underwhelming in that respect. You expect him to kind of perform a little bit more. It just feels a little bit lackluster in that regard. But in terms of the stage show, I love it. Um, essentially what he's got is this huge square that basically acts like a screen where you project stuff onto it, or it's like an LED screen box thing that has different sort of, you know, designs and logos and illustrations and videos, whatever it may be kind of projected on there. And then there's obviously the, I think their projections, what they look like, similar to what Travis Scott had of like UFOs beaming down, looking like they're going to beam him up and shit. That looks pretty cool. Obviously the Drake, sorry, the Virgil statues obviously in there as well. All these sort of things kind of work there in that regard. I kind of don't really mind. But the performances of him actually dancing and, you know, whatever and rapping on stage are very lackluster and extremely, extremely underwhelming. I don't really like it. And I really don't think he's really giving you, I feel like, a reason why you should be going to his live shows. If he's just going to stand there and kind of like repeat a couple of words and ad lib some stuff here and there, I'd rather not go personally because it's going to cost a lot of money to see Drake. He's not some kind of, you know, fucking SoundCloud rapper, right? He's one of the biggest, he's the biggest rapper in the world, maybe one of the, the biggest artists in the world there, maybe second only to Bad Bunny or something. And it's going to cost an arm and a leg to get there. And if it's going to cost an arm and a leg, I want to see a performance that's worth the hundred dollars or pounds I'm going to play. I think, yeah, the tour's called It's All a Blur. Um, the merch is pretty meh to me in that regard. I'm not really for me. But um, one thing that's funny, actually, is that uh, Drake does this, right? Which I love. Is that he walks out on stage through, like, it's a, obviously it's an arena tour. And he kind of walks out of the place. Um, how do you describe it? The kind of, the place where you walk out and to go into your seats if you're sitting in your seats, basically. He walks out through the stadium. And he kind of does this really dramatic walk because as you're walking out, you're walking past everybody down the stairs and they're all touching and shit. So it felt like to me, because Drake's always said already, he's in a very reflective mood. He feels very zen. Maybe he's doing some meditation. Maybe he's just really appreciative of his career. But it also feels like he's doing the thing where he's kind of forcing himself to get his own flowers. He's like, you know what? People aren't going to give me the ratings that I need right now. I'm going to give myself the ratings. I want people to recognize my impact and what I've meant to them in their life. And I want to receive that love now. I don't receive it when I'm deep, when I'm dead or something. All right. You know, in, um, God forbid happening anytime soon. So he kind of, 
is giving himself flowers by hook or crook by purposely coming out through the crowd and having his security kind of like you know let people like you know touch him but not get too close and shit it kind of feels like that a little bit you know a little bit it kind of feels like a little bit like this is very main character energy like drake's entrance like what are you doing you know what i mean like you could have come out any other way you could have come out and avoided people you could have come out through you know underneath the fucking cube like fucking Undertaker or some shit. No one could have seen you. You could have done whatever you needed to do, but he purposely felt like came out through the crowd to get all that love and attention. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like Casey Neistat, the vlogger, right? Um, the famous YouTube vlogger, where for whatever reason, Casey always finds a way to leave in the bits where people are screaming his name down the street. Casey, Casey. He, they, they, those little things always seem to make the cut. But then when somebody comes to his studio and tries to knock and tries to kind of talk to him, he gets really pissed off and shit, clearly, because he's on space. But he obviously loves the attention. But he tries to, like, not want the attention. You know, like, kind of like a weird sort of, like, push-pull. Like, give me all the love. Shout my name down the street like I'm fucking Harry Styles. But also don't come up to my studio. You know, that kind of vibe. And it feels like a little bit like Drake's doing the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, I want security to make sure these peons untouch me. I'm fucking Drake. But also give me all the flowers. Like, let me know how much you love me. That's basically what it feels like. And I can't blame him, to be fair. I really can't blame him because he really went full ham and said, you're going to give me my flowers. I'm not going to wait until, um, you know, that you fucking wait later on for you to give me flowers. No, give me my flowers right fucking now. Um, that's obviously the statue there. You can see the fucking paper airplane flying out of Drake. Um, fucking Virgil was hand there. Looks pretty cool. Picture of Drake and fucking 21 Savage are hanging out. So all in all, decent show but i would have to fucking wait uh a while to see if i'm really convinced to kind of buy a ticket to a show because if you're just gonna be screaming ad libs i'd rather not brother i'd rather fucking not talking about artists and talking about touring and how hard it is out there 100 gex man um a group that i'm really fond of and who i really like to be completely fair unfortunately having to cancel their european tour they said we're physically and mentally worn out and I was thinking to myself the other day, right? I went in a bit of a rabbit hole on my little old Instagram where I post some clips of raves and shit and all that malarkey. Um, little secret one that I do. And I was going through a little bit of a rabbit hole and checking all the festivals and stuff happening on the weekend because some festivals happen two-day, one-day ones. And one thing that I noticed straight away was that I wasn't having as much FOMO as I was having before in the past in terms of not going to festivals. But one thing I was thinking, I was thinking, man, a lot of these people playing at festivals aren't that great. Most of these people are the ones who essentially, I felt like, have done it well in terms of their career. They figured out a way to get very popular. And then when you get popular, the popular DJs are the ones that usually get the most bookings in the summer during festival season because festival season is also kind of normie season. All the normie people who kind of want to go out and when I see the most popular people go out during the summer. So if you're organizing a festival, you're going to book those people in because they're the ones going to sell the most tickets. So it makes a lot of sense, which is why you see the same names in most of these festivals and events, especially if you're from the dance, music, electronic scene like I am. Cool, whatever. So I'm looking at thinking, yeah, I could do a way better job than this. But I'm also not bothered about not going, not having that much FOMO. But another thing feeling that happened when I was watching the clips online, I was thinking to myself, man, this must be exhausting, isn't it? Because if you're the popular DJ in this scene and you're getting all the bookings you're getting all the bookings so you're playing all the fucking time it's fucking non-stop and obviously if you love the music you love the scene like i do it's fucking amazing but at some point 
it's still going to be tiring. You're still going to find it physically and mentally tiring to go out there on stage and perform your ass off every single time. And one thing that's interesting about tours, which I never really thought about until now, the other day, and again, I, thought, I promise it wasn't a weed moment, but it's the idea that every tour you go on, for you is the same, but for the people attending, it's a very special and unique moment. And it's also a very special and particular moment for you as an artist to solidify your fan base in a way you're probably gonna make some new fans but you're also gonna solidify your fans who are gonna help to sustain your career for another five to ten years so the onus is on you to turn up and do a good job because if you can do a decent enough job the people that attend are gonna be your fans for life and maybe if some new people coming on, they're going to be your new fan. So it puts a weird little pressure on you because for you, it's any other day, clock in, clock out. For people going, there's a special moment. So you're having this tension happening, this friction, where you just want to just do the bare minimum and kind of get it done and go to your hotel room and sleep. But the people there also want to be given a special one-off unique show because they are witnessing you here in their city. They weren't in the other places. All they know is what they're seeing now. So it creates a really strange thing. So that must really kind of add to the, you know, fatigue, both mentally mentally and physically for a lot of these flipping artists. So I don't really, you know, I completely understand where 100 Gigs is coming from because they are one of the most popular acts out there also within their kind of alternative space. And they must be going through it to be honest this summer. So it's courtesy of Pitchfork. It says 100 Gex are cancelling a European tour that had been scheduled to begin October. To our fans in Europe, we are sorry to cancel our up and coming shows, but we're physically and mentally worn out. And this is interesting too. They're cancelling a tour at the beginning of October, but they've already been worn out from the shows they're doing now. So that just shows you how unrelenting these guys' fucking tour schedule is. But also, it's the kind of. It's a sort of blessing of success because when you have no gigs, when you're an absolute nobody, the first thing that you want, myself included, is just more gigs. You want to be booked to play places. You don't even care about getting paid. You just want to be booked to play places, play in front of people, share your music, share your ideas, have fun, party, blah, blah, blah. But then you reach a point where sometimes the bookings become a little bit of a curse in themselves. They become their own form of golden handcuffs. But really, you can't complain about this because there are tons of people out there, myself included, who will take your spot in a fucking millisecond. So you can't really cry too much. You kind of have to keep it a little bit cute, you know? Have to keep it a little bit cute. So I kind of understand the you know, frustration that these guys are feeling. It says 100, 100 gigs announced on Euro, the European tour in May. Days after wrapping up the North America tour in support of well, 10,000 gigs. The band began um, the year with January and February shows in Oceania before spring tours in North America. 100 Gecks have a few tour date lined up in July. They will also open up for Boy Genius at a newly announced show in Hollywood Bowl in Halloween. Of, if, if I had to open up for Boy Genius, I might end up quitting as well, to be fair. Boy Genius are fucking terrible. Um, see the group's tour schedule below. Um, as you can see there, there's some dates that were meant to get done. So unless you're going to Australia, New Zealand, or Japan, you're not going to see them. That's a pretty decent fucking tour lineup to go on though as a last little sayonara to touring go having to go to australia new zealand and then quick drop off to fucking you know japan pretty decent way to kind of end your tour and say you know what i'm too tired yeah me too fatigo yeah and just kind of leave it and kind of put your feet up i could definitely understand but 
it's again a very unique place to be in. I'm sure there does exist resources out there in terms of like private group chats for artists because I feel like if you get on techno Twitter, if you get on alternative Instagram or Twitter and start complaining about these sort of things, you're gonna get you know shamed by your fans you're gonna get fucking laughed at by people in your industry who don't have any gigs and want your position so you can't really complain you have to kind of complain in private only to people um you know that are kind of in the same sort of field as you so again you're kind of confined um and sort of like a prisoner of your own success but again i'm not too surprised by this again having gone my little rabbit hole of kind of gigs online and festivals you know during this festival season and as much as i feel like i could do a much better job than a lot of these fucking top djs out there i also understand that part of the reason why they're successful is their ability to continue doing those sort of gigs to be able to play essentially wednesday to wednesday sometimes like multiple weeks like do you know what I mean gig after gig after gig after party after, after party and not complain once and not fucking cry and just fucking turn up and do their job and keep it going that in itself is a talent that in itself is a skill that not many of us have and that is also the reason why some of the top people get the top money because they can do that because some of us you know we stay up fucking past 2 a.m and we you know don't have our eight hours of sleep and we're crying these people are fucking not sleeping, right, through drugs or through just lifestyle choices. And people are playing a lot. And they're also doing something that people don't really understand also that I feel like is really important. That kind of like um energy transferring is very tiring in its own self, right? Being in front of people, having to perform in front of them, touching them, feeling them, hearing them. It kind of saps you of something of yourself, which maybe explains why a lot of DJs, a lot of big touring ones, kind of just want to run away as soon as they finish a show. Because you've given so much of yourself through the music, through the set, um, through you just being there as a person. The last thing you want to do is give more of it away. Especially if like needy, kind of like wannabe DJs and artists come up like, listen to my song, I want to be booked, eh, can I come to the party? You know I mean, it's just like, it's too much. You just want to keep a bit of yourself to yourself. So you go to a fucking hotel room and you start fucking abusing young girls or something. Do you know what I mean? That's what they all do. But... I understand why you want to keep yourself away from people because it's just too much to handle. So touring is a weird thing. And again, it feels like the music industry has kind of done it to these artists because if we lived in a fair world, musicians, artists in general, could make a lot of money from just being able to fucking put their art out, put out their music, put out their albums, right? And they would be completely fine. People would buy them, they'll support them, they'd like it, cool, it's amazing. But because music, streaming, record sales doesn't pay like it should and the splits are terrible and it favours more so the fucking digital streaming platforms, then artists are now required to really turn up the touring because it's the only way they make money in the live shows. That's the only way they do it. In the DJing world, it's different because, you know, you make music in the hopes that your music blows so that then you can then get more gigs as a DJ right um i think my fucking guy that i love the most Rene wise being a good example of it as great as he is as a dj he's one of i think the best out there i still think a lot of his success has been because of the fucking tunes that he plays then you go and see him play and he's a fucking sick dj so that can kind of work for you so i think artists have the inverse thing where the music sells pretty decent but it doesn't make them well good money so they have to go on road to obviously get the peas but then on road to make it worthwhile, you have to do a lot of shows. If you're a band especially, you have to pay a lot of people to kind of carry around gear and shit. Whew. So in order to make that worthwhile, you have to add loads of dates. 
and then you add loads of dates, that means you spend a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from home, you miss out on your kids growing up, you don't spend more time with your parent partner, who's maybe not involved in the business, that may affect your fucking relationship, it spirals and spirals and spirals, you miss up with your friends, you don't go to weddings, you miss funerals, it, it's kind of crazy, to be fair, it's, people don't literally think about it a lot, but it's kind of wild, to be fair, it's kind of, kind of wild, um, you know, think about it, if you're fucking Hector Oates' fucking girlfriend, you can't be some girl working reception at a hair salon. You know what I mean? You have to be kind of somebody involved in the industry because that guy's touring everywhere. He's surrounded by loads of fucking ketamine-looking, geified zombie hotties and shit. You kind of have to be in the scene to kind of make it work and to kind of make it make sense. Because if you're seeing him posting, you know, shaking yourself side to side on an Instagram post while you're fucking on the central line on the way to work, you're going to be fucking brewing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, I understand that regard. I understand. Anyway, moving on from that one to talk about this, right? I saw this pretty sick festival online that I didn't know existed. And again, it's pretty decent to check out this stuff, Dream Festival scene, because I got all this stuff that I want to add to my list I want to do next year. So it's called Stone Techno Festival. And it's based in this place called Essen in flipping um, in Germany. And if I'm not if I'm not confused, I think the nearest airport I think might be like Dusseldorf or some shit, right? Um, so, but I know Essen has a force or football club or whatever, maybe. But I'm not really too familiar with Germany outside of Berlin and Frankfurt because those are two places I've actually been to. Um, and obviously, I want to go to Munich. But there's this festival called Essen, and one thing that's amazing about it is the location I want to talk about. The location is fucking incredible. It's in this like weird industrial factory looking place. Um, and it's, there's bits of it that are kind of open air, so you kind of see the sky as you're raving, but it looks like the quintessential place where you would go and listen to techno music. This looks like the place where you should listen to that sort of music, in that sort of space, and they host like one day, two day type of festivals, and I legitimately, legitimately, legitimately love it. Like, it looks really, really, really freaking cool, and I really want to kind of add it to my list of festivals to go to. This website or this Instagram page called The Third Room, um, I think are the people that maybe manage it or something. I'm not really too sure how that kind of works. Um, but the festival itself is called Stone Techno Festival, right? And as you can see here, there's loads of fucking big industrial factory looking pipes and, you know, sculptures and sorry, um, structures and shit and whatnot it kind of looks like uh you know chernobyl in some respects um it's obviously clearly abandoned but i feel like this is the pretty much perfect place to kind of experience um techno in all its kind of guises and all its kind of ways and i feel like how it's kind of looks for me is the main selling point of why i would kind of want to go there and as you can see here there's a picture of what looks like um, it looks like sort of like basically like a factory don't get me wrong basically it kind of looks like print works and there's a bit here that kind of looks open where I think it was raining over the weekend at the recent Stone Music Festival and all of this place in the middle here was full of water and there was DJs playing at the back here so you've got people playing and it's got the backdrop of this amazing sort of factory looking out on it it looks really really fucking cool and I really want to go and as you can see here loads of cool interesting people playing and looking amazing the screens here have some cool artwork, not pictures of the DJs playing. I'm pretty sure um, Art, ART, that concert channel on YouTube, have done a couple of recordings of some sets there that I want to check out and see what it kind of looks like. 
but I also play a little after movie for you to see what the looks. Are. I think that's no. Is, is that Nora or Naira? Yeah, that's it. Nora. Um, is that, is that Nora actually playing there actually for real? So big up her. Um, there's another person here. I forgot her name. What's her name there? Salomon here playing. Let's just let's just see the comment here. Percy of the review. Somebody posted here on the comments. Eskia Production says, Festival location is insane. Music was world-class. Crowd was top-notch. However, in England, everyone knows Germany as being a country with the best organizational skills in Europe. Okay, you can't hate and then start sucking off. Or you can't suck off and then hate. But hey, let's continue. But this festival was sadly the opposite in this regard. So, here is some constructive feedback to make next year's event even more enjoyable. Look at this person. Are they involved in the industry? They look like they're trying to, like, you know, give some criticism, obviously, but also try and throw their hat in the ring to get a job. Interesting. Let's, let, let me actually look in. Let's just check it out here. They said, nobody should have to queue for 45 minutes to get a drink token unless an online prepayment system like Sonar where you can top up your credit before the festival begins and also refund online. To be fair to this person, though, or to be fair to the festival, every festival I've been at, with the exception of maybe one, the queue to get drinks is always crazy. Is always crazy. So this is not really that surprising, to be fair. And to be fair, it's kind of part of the fun of festivals. The, the long queues, the shitty toilets. Like that kind of adds to the whole kind of vibe, personally. As, good, as long as the sound is good for me, I don't really care about the rest of it. As long as the stages are well kind of, you know, designed and located and whatnot. All the other things like, you know, long queues at the bar, uh, the toilets being shitty, whatever. I'm not really too bothered about. Uh, another criticism. Even if you don't use online system for vouchers, get rid of the completely inefficient current system where the waiters have to calculate and cross out numbers on a voucher card. This makes bar service even slower. Should be a simple system like one token, one beer or two token spirit mix. Yeah, that's really weird. That's really strange to be fair. That's a good point. They're having to fucking do algebra and shit to work out how much you've used. That's a bit strange. It should just be what he said. Most festivals are like that. They'll give you fucking, um, you know, what's the thing called? Casino fucking, what's it called? Chips or whatever. And you use those. Usually whatever color corresponds to one is one, wherever it's two is two and you go from there. Um, or you just use them, you know, based on the token amount. It continues, it says, bar service needs to be drastically improved. You can tell this person's a Brit, right? You can tell this person's a Brit. The one thing they're complaining about is the bar. You can tell that we're British people. We like to fucking drink. You go into a festival, instead of going there to listen to the music and dance your face off and meet loads of interesting people and get on it and stuff, he's complaining the most thing about, I couldn't get me drinks. Couldn't get fucking drunk, mate. I fucking love it. Um, bar service needs to be the duh. Travel, um, travel home from the festival was shambles very unsafe you need at least four shuttle buses an hour and also the team up with the local cab service so you can have a taxi stand and it again this is all whatever man getting to a festival is always whatever getting home is always a fucking nightmare it's part of the fun you get to fucking calm down you get to fucking chill sleep whatever you know find out you lost your wallet all those things are fun so I feel like these these complaints are a little bit little bit much to be completely honest. Um but I'm gonna quickly play here an after movie from it to see what so I can kind of see the vibe of the after movie from when? Was it this year or last year? I think that might have been last year. Let me just quickly check. No, from this year actually, from this year. This year's after movie, um taken from the fucking um stone 
techno festival and I really want to go next year. It looks really, really good. It really was like the type of thing that I'll remember until the day I die, probably. This day was actually something different than I expected. So I came to the festival and I saw Adriana playing. I knew she would smash it and I walked by and everyone was happy and sun shining. I said, did you see what's happening in the sky? The minute I arrived, it started raining and it was like, okay, well, maybe it's gonna pull over, you know? It did not pull over. So yeah, for me, it happened in the plane. I had to hold on in the air, not to get into the storm. All right, everyone has to leave. Everything's canceled. So everybody had to evacuate and nobody knew if we could restart or not. I was still like, okay, my set is done, you know, because it was pouring rain when I had to perform. And then the message slowly started to spread like, hey, we're gonna actually start up again. And seeing a wall of people run towards the stage. It's like an image that I'll probably never forget for the rest of my life. And then the moment it restarted, it's like a triple excitement from everybody. And I looked around and I took my hand up and I was waving to people like, thank you, like thank you for staying with us and make this happen because without them, there was also nothing. To be honest, it was like the best set of my life. I don't think it could have happened this way without everything that happened around it, you know what I mean? So it looks pretty fun to me. I don't really mind it. People are calling um, Narcissus over here, who's really one of the best DJs out there, to be fair. They're calling him Paris Hilton, which is fucking hilarious. But um, yeah, um, as you can hear from them, there was a little bit of some complications happening because essentially they had torrential rainstorms. It looks like it was fucking pelting it down by you know all considerations and they had to kind of cancel it temporarily because i'm assuming for some health and safety reasons which is kind of not really the norm in most european festivals if it rains people just soldier through we are fucking known to love a good party in the fucking rain we don't really give a fuck so people are more than happy to stay and chill, whatever it may be. So when festivals do try and cancel or postpone things because of rain, people usually get quite upset. That's the funny thing about it. People don't mind actually chilling and fucking hanging out. So the fact that they had to cancel it, I'm sure people weren't too happy about and probably kind of threw their toys out of pram about. But um, in true European fashion, in true German fashion, in true you know fashion with techno fans in general, they decided to open the doors again once the weather did clear back up. And luckily for them, everybody came back. Because I feel like sometimes people get a bit annoyed. I think if it's in the UK, people maybe feel like they got, you know, it was that like kind of spit in the face and they just go home. But I feel like there, people probably decided to come, you know, come back, give them another chance. We're out here anyway. So that was obviously good to see. But I'm definitely going to add it to my list of places to go because it's a basically a one day festival um you know from the 8th of july obviously i've missed it stone techno festival um the lineup is pretty sick oh no it's two day festival actually saturday and sunday the lineup is fucking awesome everybody i'd like to see in terms of d dan um anita gigola um imogen Fran freddie k mohem uh, Justin Perry, back to back, and Leah Ochi is a big one that I'd like to go see. Patrick Mason, of course, Rod Had, Salomone, Stephen, uh, Stephanie Sykes, I'm a big fan of. Hector Oaks, who I love. Um, Narcissus, obviously, who I mentioned there. Hector Oaks, back to back with Helena Half. All amazing people playing, who I'd love to go see play, obviously. And um, yeah, it looks really cool, to be completely honest. And it's definitely something that's kind of out of the way. 
It's not in the usual places that I always am in, in terms of Berlin and shit. It's in Essen, a little bit different from what I'm usually used to. And yeah, I am definitely will end up kind of figuring out a way to get there sometime next year when it's on again. There's actually a video here from, what you call it, 2022 actually, which is a decent little after movie, which I actually will play here, that kind of shows what went down last year to kind of give me a kind of an idea of what I can expect if I do end up going there this time next year. I did feel the vibe of many old coal miners that have dug deep into the earth for the world. Oh, is that what it is? It's, um, it's a coal mining factory, an old disused one. It looks fucking incredible, to be fair. There's what looks like a fucking Ferris wheel outside of it also, which is odd. So I'm not really sure what's going on there, but I just love the site. And this is a thing that I really love about places that aren't the UK. These places exist because we have something similar like Printworks. But for some reason, the fucking local government decides, hey, we want to get rid of Printworks and we want to build some shiny new fucking flats or some nondescript, same old fucking steel and glass co-working space that no one's going to fucking work out of but they don't want to leave a very unique looking club inside of a print factory that's also been kind of turned into a little cultural hub that's bringing loads of new business around that area. Nah, let's just burn it all down and build fucking nonsense flats. These type of places do exist in parts of Europe. You can do these sort of festivals, these sort of events, and local governments um, see the utility in you bringing extra people to that area that usually is dead, doesn't have any kind of business going on there every summer to make a bit of extra money as a local economy and that shit. That's really important. I love it. It looks really cool. To find resources for us to heat our homes. Breathing through celebrating everything good in the world. The place is insane. There's a lo loads of like little hidden corners as well, which I like. There's no other place like it in the world because Man, like that it's shit. like a national heritage site right and the whole place just it just breathes techno i think in this place with the industrial vibe thank you for the invite third room and they're my guys and now the kids just want to rave expectation but when I arrived uh, this industrial like kind of it. area totally made sense with the stone techno project the music that comes behind the, the name. There were so many sounds to choose from I mean I could have made uh, 10 tracks out of it. I enjoyed a lot of the stone sounds and those kind of belly metallic hits yeah. I use as like a top line. A lot of nice percussive and almost uh, industrial percussive noise. They actually were very useful. Normally when you get a sample back, it's maybe 10% of it is great. The rest is not so great, but actually I was very inspired. I was able to fit it in really well. I played the track and smashed it, yes. unique in the world yeah i've never seen something like this it was my debut and it was incredible the venue alone is beyond it's so many hidden corners so many different floors the energy was so crazy 
from the beginning till the end, I would love to have that again. Yes, of course, I would love to come back. Oh, no. I felt very responsible and also energized. This is the best and the most beautiful location I've seen in my life. And not even like as a DJ, like as a person. We had a fucking party. <laughs> is absolutely amazing. Location is really special. And I think that's so awesome because this is this is the right place for techno. The crowd was giving me so much energy, so I had an absolutely great time. An amazing thing I've never experienced before playing outdoors, but yet feeling like we were together in a club. Cool. When I was young, you hear about Ruhrgebiet, but uh, I never saw it up close like this. It's really impressive. First time I played in the World Heritage site, so that's the one to tick off. Um, the energy of the people is really nice. I think also where Essen is positioned in Europe, then they get a lot of people from the surrounding areas, which I think is really cool. Multicultural in fucking Germany means loads of different types of whites. <laughs> I fucking love it. Every different type of Caucasian is multicultural. I fucking love it. <laughs> we are multicultural. We have people here from Turkey, <laughs> Romania, <laughs> Hungary, Czech Republic. We're multicultural. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna be there holding it down for the icy freeze. Boom, 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 boom. Nigga, nigga. I'll be, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. No matter what. Next year, I'll be there. But yeah, it looks fucking awesome. I'm definitely gonna check it out. If you haven't seen it before and you are not aware of it, I really do recommend it also to you. I'm sure most of you probably are aware of it because you're way more cooler than I am. But definitely check it out. Um, you know, hosted by the Third Room guys, Stone Techno Festival. Um, next year, obviously, this one already we missed. Um, usually it's on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, it looks like maybe the first weekend of July. That was pretty sick. Um, and I'm all for it. It says here for the, for the first one, it says after hard months work and extensive planning, the third room and Ruhr Museum are finally ready to proudly present the full lineup of Stowe Techno Festival. Two days with 50 outstanding artists on four super intimate floors at one of the worldwide most unique locations, the UNESCO World Heritage Zovolerin. We're expecting ravers from all over the world and we can't wait to bring them all together at Europe's biggest coal mine complex. Oh, it's a coal mine complex. Interesting. Save your tickets now because sales are running fast and we predict to be sold out. Okay. It's a coal mine complex. That's what it's called, right? UNESCO World Heritage. Let's see what Google says about this place. It's a coal mine. Oh. Industrial complex in the land of Nordheim, Westphalen or something. That's what it's called. Um, let's see it here, courtesy of fucking Wikipedia. What does Wikipedia say about it? Oh, it looks very, very, very cool there. Um, Zolverland Coal Mine Industrial Complex is a large former industrial site in the city of Essen. The first coal mine on the premises was founded in 1847 after the coal mine activities took place in 1851 until December 1986. God damn it. For decades, starting in the late 1950s, the two parts of the site, the, how do you say that? Zolveren? 
Zolverian coal mine and the Zolverian cooking plant erected, haha, <laughs> get it, erected um, in 1957 to 1961, closed on June 30th, 1993, ranked among the largest of its kind in Europe. Shaft 12, built in the new objectivity style, was opened in 1932 and is considered an architectural and technical masterpiece, earning a reputation as the most beautiful coal mine in the world. Because of its architectural testimony to development of heavy industry in Europe, the industry complex was inscribed in UNESCO World Heritage List in December 2001. So that's why it still exists, see? That's what we need. Somebody needed to put fucking print works as a World Heritage site. Then maybe they wouldn't have fucking turned it into fucking, you know, what do you call it? Um, Startup fucking co-work spaces. We don't need any more of those. Fucking hell. Um, and it's one of the anchor points of Europe's route of the industrial heritage. Okay, cool. Fairly awesome. Nice to see. Definitely going to go there next year. Adding that to my list of things to go to. On top of Melt. On top of Dre Molin. On top of Houghton. I've got so many things to fucking go to. All I need to do. All I need to do is start making a lot of money. When I start making a lot of money. Once I start making fucking, you know. 10 grand a month you're gonna start seeing me going so many places my vlogs are gonna be crazy i'm gonna be fucking like casey nice that hey guys here i am in bora bora investigating the local hogs <laughs> yeah that's what i'm gonna be on i'm gonna be on bora bora time i swear to god bora bora time moving on from that one let's talk about some other shit that may have occurred we need to speak about of course what happening with fucking Jonah Hill? Unfortunately, everybody in the internet is trying to cancel Jonah Hill for having um, standards. No standards. For having, what do you say, boundaries? Is it boundaries? How would you describe them? Um, maybe there are boundaries. Whatever it is, he tried to tell his then ex or his ex girlfriend now um, how she could basically move or what made him comfortable, not comfortable. And for some whatever reason, the fucking um, girlfriend, ex-girlfriend decided to air him out. Personally, I don't see why this is anyone's business. It shouldn't be really. This is clearly a relationship issue that they had. I don't see why the internet has to chime in and get involved. I don't think she needs to bring it to social media. But now that she has, we're talking about it. So it kind of is internet business in that regard. But it does basically paint her in a bad light. Because I don't think the messages are doing what she thinks they're doing. Because I think in her eyes, she sees it as a form of abuse, manipulation, harassment. Whereas in the eyes of a common sense person, you just see it as somebody having particular boundaries that they would rather, you know, have in their relationship. If they aren't met, they'd rather kind of go separate ways. But it's not really much a controlling thing as mostly something some people would rather like some people don't like but that's just my opinion anyway so this is obviously jonah hill there and his then ex-girlfriend this surfer girl who to be completely honest as well just to put it out there as kind of a to be completely brutally honest number one if you're gonna do the whole jonah hill's abusive thing maybe jonah hill isn't hot enough to be abusive unfortunately he's lost a lot of weight he obviously looks really good in clothes but he's not physically attractive enough to allow women to allow himself to say what he wants to women. Because having watched some clips of Love Island, I've seen some guys on those type of shows who are very manipulative, very abusive, mentally, whatever it may be, in the things that they say. But the girls let it lie, let it kind of go, because they're good looking. They have six packs, great faces, good teeth and shit, nice tattoos. It's okay. But if you're an average looking dude, there's just certain things you can't do. 
And one thing is that you can't tell what a woman what to do. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Average looking men can't tell women what to do. Secondly, I also don't think she's hot enough to be demanding that she's allowed to do what she wants on social media. I don't personally think so. I don't think she's that much of a smoke show that she can do what she wants either. So I think they're both in the wrong in that respect. I think they both need to kind of understand their position in life, look themselves in the mirror and say, hey, we're both kind of fives in our own way. We probably shouldn't be acting the way we should be acting now. That's my own thing. But let's go for the flipping um, screenshots of what she fucking posted in terms of shaming. Um, what's his face? Jonah Hill. So I guess it goes in this sort of order, right? She posted, or maybe it goes in that order with this one. Yeah, posted here. Here's the thing she posted. Um, and the lady's called Sarah Sarah Brady, right? So, uh, Sarah Brady, she says, this is a warning to all girls. If your partner is talking to you like this, make an exit plan. Love y'all. Call me if you need an ear. Uh, and it's funny she's saying call me if you need an ear because this lady would not pick up your calls never in a, a million years. She wouldn't spit on you if you're on fucking fire. So acting like she is somehow the, you know, the big sister of the internet is fucking ridiculous. But the text is as follows. It looks like it's Jonah Hart. Jonah Hart. It looks like Jonah Hill says to her in a text, good start. You don't seem to get it, but it's not my place to teach you. I've made my boundaries clear. You refuse to let go of some of them and you've made that clear. And I hope it makes you happy. Then he posts a screenshot of what I guess he's not happy about. Then the next one, another screenshot of what he's not happy about, which shows her essentially surfing in a bathing suit. Not really too crazy, but again, everyone has their boundaries. That's one thing I've learned over the years, right? Um, certain people just don't play when it comes to relationships. Certain people don't, you know, accept any disrespect about their partner. You can't make jokes about their wives, about their husbands, about their boyfriends or girlfriends. That's just a line you don't cross. If you do cross it, they're going to be punching you up. Or in the relationship themselves, they take that commitment to somebody very seriously. They don't cheat. They don't look out of the way. They're not exchanging DMs with people on the sly. They're very honest and stuff, but they also expect you to work, move in a certain way. So I don't really see this as too weird in that regard because he was very clear, I felt like, in what he wanted. Another text. Literally just say hello and leave the combo. I love how your therapist thinks I suck. Literally, I'm the best boyfriend on earth. <laughs> Which is fucking insane to say, to be completely honest, right? Calling yourself the number one boyfriend is legitimately cringe. It's like you getting yourself number one dad mug, right? It's like you buying yourself number one dad necklaces, number one mum. Like you have to be a complete narcissist to think that way. But anyway. Another one says, you're right. We can't do surf social things on, uh, no, we can't do social things or develop trust until you consider me and make decisions that give me regard to our relationship. I've been vulnerable as, as possible and I'm telling you, I'm needing you to step up to the plate, which you can, I'm sure. <laughs> Coaching your girlfriend how to love you, that should be a red flag that you should leave. If you have to coach your partner into how they can love you, maybe leave maybe 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 leave because that's not love language shit that's just you trying to let them know hey this is how i could feel appreciated if they can't appreciate you off rip or if they can't make you feel loved off rip red flag in my opinion but again what do i know it continues 
Um, but these losers don't get your time if you don't want me. What? But these losers don't get your time if you want me. Straight up, it's consideration. I love also her passive aggressive heart reactions to the text. She doesn't write a lot. Well, she's just she's just sharing what he said, but there's a lot of like thumbs up, hearts, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> she doesn't actually say much, which must be driving him mental. Um, I respect your love of surfing, but I respect myself as well. And your love of surfing and being in those situations and lack of awareness are not mutually exclusive. Huh? That's weird because if I'm not mistaken, I think he met her as a surfer. So now you're telling her how she should surf and how she should conduct herself in that scene. Bit weird. But hey, we move. This isn't just me. I have my own issues that I own. Oh, this isn't me. I have my own issues that I own. Um, if you want marriage and family, you can't use a 25 card. St oh, okay. So she's probably been saying, hey, I'm only 25. I don't know how to act. I'm only 25. Somehow, every time I'm... Because I'm only 25, my tits are always hanging out. My pussy's always on show. It's not my fault. I'm only 25. And he's saying, nah, 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 nah. You better hide that fucking bush. You better hide those nip-nips. And you better keep it fucking very modest on the waves. I want to see you in a full hijab on those fucking waves. <laughs> That's basically what he's telling her. Allah Akbar. Um, if you want marriage, um, you can't use a 25 card. Step up and cut the shit. These people don't get your time or your kindness at the sacrifice of minds. By people, he meant my any friend of mine that hadn't personally approved of. And then I think the ones that actually blew up on the internet were these, right? So Jonah Hill texts his surfer girlfriend the following, who he thinks is maybe too scantily dressed and is, you know, not appreciating his boundaries. He said, plain and simple. This is 2021, by the way. Plain and simple. If you need... Surfing with men, and again, these are all in bullet points. That's how you know he's angry. <laughs> Plain and simple. If you need surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate relationships friendships with men, to model, to post pictures of yourself in bathing suits, to post sexual pictures, friendships with women who are in unstable places, and from your wild recent past, beyond getting lunch or coffee or something, I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it. And there will be no hard feelings. There are my boundaries for a romantic partnership. My boundaries with you based on the way these actions have hurt um, our trust. Now, on the face of it, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying what he's saying. Of course, what he said, as, as Natashki is saying in the flipping chat, it is giving selfishness and it is giving insecurity. You can't help how this is kind of, gonna come across it radiates insecurity it radiates um you know lack of confidence it radiates if anything what this radiates fat boy energy really when you've grown up your whole life being fat and ugly and you suddenly lose weight and now you're bagging quote-unquote baddies your mindset hasn't really changed you're not really a hot boy in your head which is why people like dj academics are always interested to see with his interaction with women how he talks about women because clearly he's always been a dork he's always been a loser maybe he wasn't always as fat as he is but he's always been a loser never been somebody that kind of got girls before money but obviously now that dj academics is really successful and got money he's obviously going to attract women in his life it just is what it is more opportunities more women and his impression of dating and relationships is kind of skewed because he's had no 
training or basis of trying to successfully or unsuccessfully attract women when he was like poor and ugly and whatever it may be. And when you suddenly get them, you carry on some of those bits of like bitterness and shit. You kind of carry it with you when you become rich or you lose a lot of weight and then you become famous and shit. It just happens. So this is what's happening with Jonah. But that aside, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with what he's saying because what he's saying sounds like the same thing some people say to their friends. And I've had some people kind of say it to me in like a roundabout way. Not really upfront, because if they said it up front, I'd have to tell them something's back, which obviously I wouldn't want to do because I'm not really the argumentative type. But I've had some people over the years try and like lifestyle shame me in a way, right? Where they're like, oh, I've kind of grown up. I've got a family now. I've got kids. I'm married. I'm doing this as a career. So now all the things that we used to do when we were younger, I don't do them anymore. And the fact that you still do some of those things to a certain extent, I now look down upon you and you're like not worthy of my time or you're like a bad influence. I have some people do that to me, right? And I think it's happened a lot to people anyway in general um, because it's kind of like this weird like therapy speak people do with their friends where they want to break up with their friends, but they can't just like do what we all do and just ignore people or block them. They have to give them this fucking long soliloquy about how they are bad for their lives and make that person feel bad about themselves. Yeah, it's bad. It's, it's, it's for sure bad enough for someone breaks up with his friend anyway. It's going to always hurt. But usually the, the usual method is that over time, you just stop talking, right? You maybe lose touch. So that just happens over time. And then you're not as close as you once were. But these people go a step further and they want to detail you exactly why they're not your friend anymore and really try and break it down in a way of saying, hey, you're not constructive to a good partnership or friendship. You're a bad influence. All these type of things to make you feel bad about yourself and make them feel better. And it's kind of like a weird therapy sort of speak to kind of justify their lifestyle choices, which I'm not really the biggest fan of. Whereas I feel like in this regard, in relationships, there should be some type of boundary. There should be some level of like understanding of like what annoys a partner, what doesn't, what they expect from what they don't. Like some people get pissed off with their partner liking pictures, with them following people that they don't know, with them DMing or being in contact with past hookups or relationship people. They don't like it. It just is what it is. And I think you as a partner, you should be understandable or understanding of your partner's boundaries. And if you don't like it, cool, leave. But I don't think it gives you the right to kind of air them out and try and frame it in a way of them being abusive. Is he being corny? Is he being lame? Is he acting like a loser? Is it giving small dick energy? All this will go, okay, cool, whatever. But don't try and make it out to be his abuser that he's somehow like you know, he's kind of up there with Harvey Weinstein or some shit. Like, you're going too far in that regard because there's no other real need to kind of show these images because if anything, what this is showing is that that lady also was maybe struggling in the fact of, you know, you're young, you're hot, um, but now you're going out with this really famous dude. And I'd imagine if you go out with somebody really famous, regardless if they're hot or not, they kind of want you to be all theirs. I'd imagine. I don't know. Just my, my, my head just thinking. I have no idea what happens to famous people. I don't talk to them. I have no famous friends. I'm just fucking guessing. But I would assume, especially if you're going out with a famous dude, most likely, they in their head, regardless of who's hot or not in a relationship, they always feel like they're the alpha. So, you know, they want, they want to take up all of you. 
So if that means taking up all of you, that means they want to be in charge of all of you also. And sometimes, if you lack the fame and the clout and the limelight, you surrender yourself to it and you give yourself to it. Some people don't. But I feel like this girl kind of was struggling with it. Maybe she has her own fan base in the surfing world. You're still 25. Um, this guy's much older. So you're not really that comfortable of kind of giving yourself completely to him. You want to live your own life. But you also want to have that clout of being his, his, his girlfriend. So you're kind of, you know, caught in the middle a little bit. But personally, I don't think there's anything super wrong with what he said. I just think it comes across a little bit like your your feelings are way too hurt over things that you probably shouldn't be hurt about. Um, next screenshot here says, take accountability and operate with respect. It's that simple because I'm tired of your attitude towards surf culture. That contest, that place because I deserve respect. Surf culture. Bruh, didn't this guy just start surfing two years ago? Relax. Period. I have been more than patient then shit like this is um, still here. Fuck that contest. Fuck that place. And fuck not respecting me. Always in every situation within surf culture. You don't get it. And you don't get me. It's hurtful and unacceptable to me. Get it? I don't know if you get it. Or care. Or give a shit about um, that shit um, any more than me. Even after Dr. Stern has said it loud. <laughs> Dr. Stern. <laughs> Getting your fucking therapist involved is fucking horrendous. But anyway. Um, obviously it's giving, you know, it's giving insecurity. You can't help that. It kind of is what it is. He's going through maybe the same issues that that um, Kiki Palmer, um, you know, baby daddy issue he was kind of going through. And it also does show the difficulty, the real difficulty in dating when you're famous, really, in general. And why maybe it's important if you're a dude especially if you're a guy really and you're going out with a woman that you probably wouldn't have access to if you weren't famous and you're average looking, you kind of just have to go with the flow. Really Especially if you decide to go with somebody super young, they're going to do what they're going to do. Their social media platform is their brand. It's their platform to express themselves, trying to somewhat control what they do and this sounds a little bit insane in my opinion, especially when you look at her profile itself. She hasn't, she's not the most you know, scantily clad girl on there. There's way more girls on social who surf, who are way more suggestive and sexual in their appearance. She isn't like that at all. And if you had a problem with that, it's more so an issue that he has to do as opposed to her. But fundamentally, I feel like she shouldn't have shared those text messages. I feel like it's completely over the line. It's really inappropriate. We don't need to know about this. It's none of our business, really and truly, what they do in their relationship, what boundaries he has, what they don't have. Um, don't want to know. And fundamentally, the last point, he's not hot enough to tell her what to do and she's not hot enough to be complaining about it. Simple as that, really. Sad to say, but I think in this world, um, having watched clips of Love Island, that's what's been proven to me. If you're ridiculously good looking, you can get away with quote unquote manipulating or kind of trying to control people in certain regard. And um, of course, because once one person tries to fucking try you and cancel you somebody else comes out of the fucking bush works now um obviously another person has now come out and accused um jonah hill of forcing themselves on him on her sorry when she was 16 this person from zoe 101 i don't know i don't know what that is because i'm not white it's a person called alexa nicholas says um jonah hill forced themselves on her when she was 16 and he was 24 so let's go to the next slide. When it rains, it pours. It says, after reading Sarah Bradley's admirable post, admirable, fuck off. 
Women are the worst, right? Um, admirable, you know. She shares some text messages of her friend being a, a boyfriend at the time being a dick via text messages. Relax, bruv. She didn't fucking design the hydrogen bomb. Like, you guys need to chill. Um, about Jonah here, I just got to say, when I was 16, I got invited to a house party at Justin Long's house where he was living with some lame predator actor from CSI Miami. Why don't you name him then? You're naming fucking Jonah Hill touching you up, but you don't want to name the fucking guy in CSI Miami. Clout chaser. Um, I'll look up the name later and find it. Oh, okay, cool. Um, hashtag Jonah Hill seemed to have his eyes on me because at one point I wanted a cigarette and he said he had one in his car right outside. Yo, this is a classic creep move. You want to come back to my house to play some tunes? You want to fucking go outside to go get a cigarette? <laughs> Creeps love to isolate. If anybody tries to isolate you, hey, you want to go over here in that corner? You want to go over there in that bush? They're, they're definitely a creep. If they do stuff in the open and they're all over you, they may be Mediterranean or straight from, you know, straight from Africa, fresh off the boat. But if they're trying to take you places, you better run. If they're trying to take you, like transport you, human trafficking style, right? You better run. Um, don't he, uh, he didn't seem like too much of an effort, so I trusted him. I went outside and he grabbed the cigs from his front seat. Hashtag Jonah Hill didn't hand me the cigarette, which I thought was weird. And then as we walked back to the door, I asked him for it and he said nothing, but slammed the door and shoved his tongue down my throat. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but that is an aggressive move, right? You aggressive move. Maybe a little like bum touch, a little like shoulder touch, maybe a little face touch, maybe coming into their you know, proximity to maybe lean in to kiss or something. But going straight in, ah, 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 that is fucking aggressive. That is predatory, lock you up, throw away the keys, bury you under the jail, put a fucking, you know, uh, a safe over it, cover that with concrete. Like, oh my God, going straight in, tongue, ah, that is fucking wild. Anyway, um, I was so appalled, I pushed him off. And ran outside. And ran inside, sorry. Cool. So, uh... <laughs> Yo, Jonah Hill, man. One girl airs you out because you fucking have, don't want her being scantily clad when she's doing a little, you know, surfing content online. And then out of nowhere, some girl from a show called Zoe101 says, Hey, remember when I was 16 and you tried to fucking tongue me down? When it rains, it pours, isn't it? When it rains, it pours. Um... I'm not sure what they want from Jonah. He seems very fragile in his terms of like mental and mental state. Uh, he kind of quit doing interviews and shit. So I wonder if if news came out that Jonah Hill unalived himself, would these people be happy? Is that what they kind of want? Because like none of this stuff is like gonna be getting him in prison anytime soon. We know for the most part, unless you're like have video footage of you raping somebody he's getting again uh, convicted of those sort of stuff is really difficult you might get publicly shamed but it's not really going to do nothing to you in terms of you know the court of law maybe, maybe the court of public opinion people might think of you as a creep but i wonder what the end goal is for this like what do they want here like what what, what are they trying to expose here who was walking around thinking jonah hill was like the best boyfriend ever i don't know no one really i don't i don't think no one did 
So I don't know what this may, what does. Like if he does unalive himself, like what happens? What happens? Do they take personal responsibility? Do they feel guilty about it because it wasn't that big of a deal? I don't know. Either way, white people business, not my problem. Hopefully he sorts it out. Um, and if he doesn't, it kind of is what it is, isn't it? It kind of is what it is. But for sure, that girl is definitely giving a little bit clout chasery vibes. Um, obviously using a moment for herself to kind of prop up her own, you know, thing, whatever it may be, which is understandable in some regards, considering how hard it is to make it out there. But it's not something that I would be wasting too many of my brain cells on to kind of work out why this is happening, why this isn't happening, because it kind of is what it is for the most part. I think you just kind of have to leave those things where they are and hope people work them out. If they don't work them out, it kind of is their own regard and you have to kind of figure it out on their own self and we will just kind of keep it moving. But I don't know, man. I just look at that sort of thing to stuff like, why do we need to know about this? Huh? Why? Why are you telling us? Why do we need to know? Why is it our business? Can we not know this personally? Um, but, you know, maybe I'm in the wrong here. Maybe I am the one who's in the wrong here. You never bloody 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 no um moving on from this right moving on from this let's talk a little bit let's talk a little bit about uh this issue that i thought was pretty interesting let me see if i can get it up on here bear with me a second here what's his name i think it's yes yeah, it christopher faust let me get his yeah, instagram hit on here christopher faust instagram Ba, 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 ba. Okay, I think that's him there, right? Is that him? Yeah, that is him. Let's get above on here. Yeah, Koilo was saying counterculture becoming stuff no one wants to even know or care about diminishes real issues. Exactly, yeah, that's the problem I've always had with it. My main issue with, like, I understand the kind of function of counterculture in terms of, you know, like I always say on this pod, like, you know, when you look at fucking rape conviction. Um, you know, percentages and shit, it'll fucking make you super depressed. Especially if you know somebody who's maybe gone through something like that. Like, it's heartbreaking. Like, I think in the UK, it's like single digits in terms of like conviction rate. It's like 7% or something else time I checked. It's awful. So clearly there is an issue there in terms of actually holding people accountable who do those heinous crimes. So if you can publicly counsel somebody, right? Fair. Call public opinion, make them look like a fucking monster, make them lose their jobs and stuff, publicly embarrass them, all well and good. But I feel like some people have now weaponized it in a as a way to kind of get back at somebody who maybe they didn't like or had a bad experience with in terms of like, I don't know, maybe if you feel that if somebody gives you the ick, that's not enough to cancel them, in my opinion. If somebody was a bad date, not enough to cancel them. If somebody was a terrible boyfriend, not enough to cancel them. You know what I mean? That's not enough to kind of go out there and start revealing text messages and shit. Like, that's un that's unnecessary. But, again, everyone wants their word, you know, their fucking story shared. Everyone wants to be a fucking martyr, an idol, icon. I don't know what it is. It just becomes weird. People are just strange out there, isn't it? But it kind of bloody is what it is. So, um, let's actually get this up on there. I want to get both things up so I can kind of talk about both. Uh, Christopher Faust, uh, allegations let's see if i can get up the original ones here okay cool i don't really know what's going on so let's just go to the, the, the main one so the main thing to talk about here is this um update courtesy of christopher faust right um a very influential dj and producer 
who had gone through an incident in 2022 where they were accused of some sort of sexual assault. I don't have a link to the original article anywhere here to kind of check it myself here. So anyway, um, going back to the thing, let's just talk from the beginning. So Christopher Faust, um, aka in health their in health their nacht in in health their nacht, um, has come out with a statement here to clear up some allegations that were put against him in 2022. So he says here my statement on May 22nd, 2022, I performed at an event in Brett in Amsterdam. Shortly after the event, I was wrongly accused of being involved in an incident of sexual assault that allegedly took place at the venue. Today, I would like to make a public statement that after many months of investigation, hearings and legal processes, I have been fully acquitted of the accusations against me by the Court of Amsterdam. The Amsterdam authorities, um, thorough investigation and the court's examination of the evidence and the experiences of the victim shared online have led to the conclusion, sorry, the conclusive determination that I could not have been involved in the alleged incident. It is important for me to mention um, that the police officers who handled the case and the judges were all women. Um, I want to emphasize that this statement, um, I have no intention of discrediting or undermining the experiences of victims of sexual assault. I'm fully aware of the violence against women and the abuse of power that takes place in music scenes and beyond. I do not want this case to become fuel for victim blaming, disregard of the victim's voices or misogynistic narratives of any kind. It was crucial for me to take time to process the situation and to approach it with empathy and understanding. During this period, I refrained from public appearances, allowing the process to unfold with the utmost attention, respect it deserves. Um, throughout the year, I was subjugated to harassment, violence online, what, which was greatly affected my mental health. I kindly request respect of my privacy as I continue to process this experience. Now that my name has been fully cleared, I eagerly look forward to resuming my passion for music and to share that again with you. I sincerely hope that you, in everyone, sorry, I sincerely hope that everyone involved in this distressing incident will find the peace and the healing um, signed of Christoph. Obviously, turn off the comments as people always do, which is a bit strange, but fair play. So, taking it on face value, if he has been accused of assault, I don't really know what the original accusations were. It's an interesting thing to see because I feel like this is probably the best approach I've seen of somebody dealing with a situation that I've seen so far because one of the things that's always kind of upset me when these sort of things happen is that they usually happen to people or usually people that get accused are the ones who kind of run parties, do festivals or like have a label or something, right? Where by the default of them being accused of what they've been accused of, it negatively impacts people who had nothing to do with it. The artists, people that are going to perform at your shows, people that work there, it kind of essentially puts their job at risk because of something you've been accused of, whether you did it or not. And I always felt like some of these people were very selfish in that they would rather the whole boat sunk down with them as opposed to saying, hey, I understand this situation is serious. Although I vehemently deny those accusations, I'm going to step aside let my team kind of take over what's happening here so that you know it's not me doing it and take time to kind of go through necessary legal proceedings, whatever time needs to be done to get done, da, 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 and then kind of come back when, when all is good. But take the time away to kind of give the people that I'm kind of, you know, representing or leading opportunity to kind of continue on with their jobs. People don't obviously do that. It happened a lot with that crossbreed party. Um, the guy over there obviously got accused of being a little bit of a menace behind the scenes. And essentially the whole thing had kind of died. Um, it happened, of course, with Lobster Ferryman. 
um, with that guy, um, Jimmy Asqueef, he got accused of some madness and the whole thing kind of died. And obviously that negative impacted everybody. That was part of it. And of course, the final kind of example will be Possession. Right, possession uh, festival over there in Paris. They had the same sort of thing where a couple of the founders got accused of some harassment shit, and that essentially led to that whole movement going down. But then there's other, you know, rumors out there that it could do to them having loads of unpaid uh, bills and stuff, and them being sued. Who knows? Either way, I would much rather like the people that have been accused to kind of step to one side, let people do their job, so that you know, not everyone's job is kind of at risk. But then, aside from that, I feel like this was really done very well because I hadn't known about the allegations against Christopher Faust until I saw the apology. Because I do remember him changing his name. That's what I remember happening. That being a big deal. You remember putting out a flipping post out there and he kind of already kind of, you know, addressed why he's changing his name to kind of get away from the negative association that was associated with his previous name because that's what the allegations were. I thought that was weird, but I didn't really look too deep into it. But then I also remember... Having been out in Berlin a few times, if you've ever been out there, you've probably seen Christopher Faust out and about. He's always out. Whenever I've been there, by hook and crook, I've been out there random times. I feel like I've always bumped into him on the dance floor. Always, you know, having a good time out with friends, you know, whatever, cheerful. I've seen him out in Berghain a few times. So clearly he hasn't been hiding, right? So that's, you know, somewhat comforting in that regard. It has affected him completely where he's a complete recluse. But he's clearly been stepping away from being like a DJ and being all up in there and kind of pushing in people's faces with delegations around him, which I feel like is a very um, sensible thing to do. Because even though you know you're not guilty, you still have to kind of move in a way where you're kind of being respectful of the kind of, you know, the seriousness of the allegations. And you're also being respectful of people who may see your actions, if you don't really give a fuck, as some sort of weird kind of microaggression thing, which I think is a little bit weird, a little bit, you know, pussified in that regard. But I understand if you've gone through that issue, why you can kind of feel like if somebody just kind of is gallivanting around town, acting like nothing's happening, how they're kind of spitting in your face. So I felt like he dealt with it in the right way. There are going to be some people who aren't going to be happy, who are still going to think he maybe didn't get exonerated Maybe they didn't find enough evidence to convict him, so he shouldn't be deserving of a career. But I feel like in some cases, if you do decide to go down the legal route with these sort of things, and the person is found innocent in some regard, they just have to be able to get on with their lives. Now, if certain industries or no, if certain platforms or certain you know clubs don't want to associate themselves with him, fair, it's their prerogative. I'm not a fan of the widespread blackballing of people, picking and choosing what kind of stance to have on certain people and what sort of thing to take seriously and what sort of thing not to take seriously. I don't like that. You have to kind of be a blanket rule across the board and there's a lot of, you know, abusers and stuff in the scene who kind of get away with it and have thriving careers. So if you kind of want to cancel, you have to cancel a lot of people out there. So in that respect, maybe if it's a, you know, platform specific people cancelling him fair enough but the fact that he's gone through the process he's made his you know he's gone through the court process the judicial process whatever it may be um they've come to the conclusion that he wasn't involved and now you know he's being somewhat found not guilty i think he should be allowed to kind of continue his on his career in that regard because i feel like if that happens then most likely if somebody is guilty of their crimes they should go down they should take they should exhaust all options to make sure that person's convicted that's what i want to see I don't want to see people being wrongfully convicted for something they didn't do. 
But then I also want to see that people that are wrongly committed, uh, convicted, sorry, or accused, have the ability to get their career back. But then that also puts the onus on making sure you catch the real predators and the real abusers out there. That's what obviously should be happening, in my personal opinion. So um, congrats, I guess, in some respects, um, to Christopher Faust. Hopefully he's able to continue his career from now on and he can kind of take it from there going forward. But that is some good news for him in that regard. And we'll see how that kind of evolves and develops. Maybe we might hear from the other side of the person who accused. who might come out and clarify some things. I'm not really too sure. But so far, so good. Um, hopefully that is okay for them in that regard. Next way to talk about this, because I thought like this is absolutely incredible and maybe one of the most funnest things I've seen in a long time. So randomly, right, um, this video went somewhat viral on Twitter that features a group of girls who come back from going to the basement, which is essentially New York's version of Bergheim. Not really, but it's one of the clubs where they have a door picking policy um, they have a no pictures policy inside um, they book maybe some of the same artists so you know uh, a lazy kind of comparison to say it's sort of like a somewhat similar to Bergheim but having read some reviews online it's not really similar or in regard um, but it's kind of a best way to kind of describe it um, that being said clearly they have a specific door policy in terms of who they allow in their club they obviously have a particular parties they promote on there that make complete sense some people can come some people can't come but i guess these girls thought that they could tick all the boxes and kind of get in they didn't get in they got rejected and they're on the bus back home right kind of you know uh mulling over the fucking failed night that they're having which is always horrible when you go out and you get rejected from a club even in a place like berlin people always say a lot oh if you get rejected from Berghain, it doesn't matter because there's all these clubs in berlin you can just go to that's all well and good to say but still getting denied feels like shit I've never got denied touch wood, thankfully. I think, you know, we know why, but I've never been denied. But I'm sure it does feel horrible. Even if you know you could go to fucking Trezor, you could go to Aiden, Club Ost, fucking RSO, all these places around you could go to have a good time. It still feels like shit. And it still feels incredibly personal when somebody rejects you. So I don't blame these girls for fucking throwing a fit and being really upset about it. But the way they did it, was fucking hilarious. I'm going to play the video for you now because this might be one of the most, this might be one of the funniest. So uh, we're on the bus. Sorry, it might be one of the funniest club rejection things I've seen in a really, really long time. And I fucking love them for their honesty about it because I feel like most people have felt this way, but usually you're embarrassed about getting rejected. So the last thing you want to do is record a video of yourself admitting that you got rejected. You're just going to carry on the night like nothing happened. But these girls are laying it bare and they're making it known that Basement is fucking racist and sexist. So let's play it here. So we're on the bus because we got uh, turned away from the basement for some uh, miraculous reason. It's queer night. <laughs> Two Arabs. Again, but it's a gender neutral space and we didn't look artsy or gay or Barbie enough for in. them, yes. but Barbie got in. Say that again. And then they were talking about like, you're not wearing all black, some of that shit. Barbie got in pink pants. And uh, what they asked was that like, have you been here before? No. Do you know who the DJ is? Like, we know who the DJ is, but we have never seen them before. Yeah. Bye. We funded. And we were just like, we don't want to get in, but we want to know why. Uh, 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 uh. Basement, you are. 
sexist, like 10 men before us got in. We are night. Lies. The guy who checked our IDs was good. Everyone else. Anyway, so as you can see, these ladies were not happy in the slightest. And the honest thing about this is that what makes it really funny to me is that they went to a, a techno club in the hopes of getting in based on who they brought along with them. So essentially, she did, she's admitting to tokenizing her friends. So she says queer behind her, basically, you know, insinuating that two of her friends behind her are queer and that they're clearly not. You know, they may be racially ambiguous. Maybe one is somewhat Asian. Maybe one isn't white, white. Maybe she's got a dash of fucking Romanian. I don't know what it is. But I just find that fucking hilarious that she took two of her friends who are queer to this club in the hopes of getting in and they still rejected them. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, two Arabs. That means like non-white thinking that that gives you a pass. <laughs> and they still got rejected. That's what fucking makes me laugh because that's what you get taught online. If you go online and you listen to these fucking donuts that say, oh, here's how to get into the Bergheim. Here's how to get into this sort of exclusive club, right? They'll tell you to wear black and to put on a dog collar, to have like a harness on and to essentially gayify yourself to get into these nightclubs, which is absolutely horrendous in my personal opinion. The last thing that I would want when I go out is to be wearing clothes that I wouldn't normally wear when I go out. I don't want to put on a fucking costume. That's why I don't go to fucking Halloween parties. That's why I don't go to fancy dress parties. I don't want to put on a costume. I want to wear what I actually wear, naturally. Things that go with my style. Things that I kind of, you know, I'm congruent with. So, yes, I'm going to wear what I want to wear. And also, I want to die on my own sword. If I don't get in based on who I am, cool, no problem. But I'm not going to go there and fucking, you know, FAG myself up to make it kind of make sense so I can kind of walk in. That's weird. I've never understood those kind of recommendations. People do that. So people that say people that listen to that kind of advice, this is what happens to you. Because people can smell you from a distance. They can smell your inauthenticity from a distance, especially if you're in the business of door picking. Door picking already is a bit strange of a profession. But if you do it well, the idea behind door picking is that actually you're doing the punter a favor. You're trying to um, figure out if the person that's coming to the door is a good fit for the night inside. You're trying to help them out. Say, hey, I don't want you to go out there and be freaked out by what's going on because you don't get it. And then you're going to be exuding this vibe of being freaked out. That's going to make people feel uncomfortable in the space that they're meant to be feeling uncomfortable in. So, not tonight. Go somewhere else where you might fit in a bit better or where it might be a little bit more to your taste. That's what they're usually trying to do. It's less so about them rejecting you inside. It's more so telling them, hey, telling you where you could probably go feel comfortable in cool no problem but surely if you're going to these sort of clubs you have to do some level of research some level of fucking upspec to figure out what's going on the major sort of red flag for me in this sort of complaint is that they said they didn't know who was playing i feel like if you go to a nightclub and you go specifically to a big especially a big popular one that's hard to get into one thing you should always do is try to acclimatize or familiarize, familiarize yourself with the lineup when the Bergheim lineup comes out you know, people, most of the people, myself included, you're going to try and Google all the names that you don't recognize and figure out if the people that you want to see and listen to. But you want to get familiar with the lineup. That's what everyone you should you usually do. If you're figuring out nights to go out, you know, on the weekend, 
or club nights, you go through the fucking lineups on RA and you figure out what type of DJs match the stuff that you like. Or if you don't recognize the names, you whack them into SoundCloud, hear their mixes. And if you liked it, you kind of mark it down, you keep it going. So the fact that they didn't do that bare minimum of work tells you they weren't really serious about getting in there. They didn't really know what was going on and just went there because of the vibes or because they maybe saw it featured on TikTok somewhere. That's maybe the first mistake that they made. And you have to kind of use that to your advantage. So when you go to these kind of places, make sure you kind of know who's playing and then you kind of go to that kind of idea. But sometimes also you could might go and you might just exude, unfortunately, the personality of somebody just doesn't fit what's going on in there. And sometimes it's not your fault. I've been in queues. And that's something I sometimes I think I've said before. Um, I think in the past, I think if I can remember it clearly, I think, I'm not really too sure if this is true, but I think there was a time, maybe I'm misremembering this, but there was a time when I used to go to Bergheim when the bouncers would walk down the queue. And if they didn't think you'd fit, they'd kind of tell you to go. And I personally think that should be reintroduced because when I last went in like June for that fucking Club Sylvester, the special event they do, right? It broke my heart because I was in the queue with a couple of normie guys, like these American dudes, and it was clear to me that they were not going to get in. Number one, they were getting fucking smashed in the queue, which people don't usually do. They were talking a bunch, really loudly, which people don't do also. You kind of have to behave yourself, be a bit quiet. And just be, kind of being themselves, having fun in the queue that you do in, in normal nightclubs, right? And I knew that they wouldn't get in deep down. But we were in the queue for like four hours, just standing there because it was a special event. It was super busy, not moving. And I thought to myself, why don't the bouncers come down in the queue? The queue's not moving anyway. And just say, hey, stop waiting here. You're not going to get in. Just leave. Like, you might as well just leave now. You probably won't get in. That would have probably done everyone a favor, but they kind of let you get all the way up to the front and then they reject you. That's the only thing that I don't really like. So I feel like the fact that they rejected them so quickly and said, hey, just carry on with your night is a good thing. Uh, maybe New York, not the best because, I don't know, maybe because the location or fucking basement is super far from everywhere else, so you can't really go to other places. That might be a bit of a bummer. But I feel like the bouncers probably did them a bit of a favor telling them not to go there because most likely the vibe wouldn't have, you know, clicked with them when they went in there and they probably would have recognized they realized a the mistake. They made a mistake before uh, whilst they're in there and it'll be a bit too late. But I want to quickly see actually the reviews of the club itself in fucking Google. Um, it's called Basement NYC. It's located in a place called, was it? Uh, is it like Bushwick Flushing? I don't know. Whatever this place is in fucking New York. I'm not really too sure. Don't kill me here. Um, but the reviews of Basement, it's on Flushing Avenue. Um, someone says here, the seven, seven, what, five stars actually, seven months ago. One of the best parties I've been to so far. Um, real dark techno with awesome sound system. We came from Toronto and we had a blast. Um, another person says, we need to get a reel in these reviews. Dress in black or dark colors. No big groups. Don't ask too many questions. Look like you belong there. Um, stop smiling. Even don't be on your phone in line. <laughs> Do everything the bouncers say. Yes, it's a vibe based. So work on. Exactly. See, I actually agree with this. I'm not going to lie. Don't be on your phone in line. Do everything the bouncers say. Yes, it is quote-unquote vibe-based, so work on your vibe. Once you're in, amazing experience. There's nothing wrong with this. They actually, they, I don't agree with dressing up and pretend to be someone that you're not, but actually trying to improve your vibe so that you kind of match what's going on in there so that you can fucking get in is the bare minimum you should be doing, personally. Um, another person says here, it's one of the few places where I can dance and immerse myself in music. One star review says, 
most terrible experience at this place we had a group of six people and when we were waiting in the gate they directly directly denied our entry without any reason they are definitely discriminating against certain groups they are using a vague so-called vibe check to disguise their discrimination behavior <laughs> do not come to this place you'll be the next victim of the night it will be ruined to be fair putting your entire success of your night putting the entire success of your night into going to one specific club is immensely lame and radiates dork like behavior personally no club no person can dictate the success of my entire night i could have times where i go out certain places and it's not to my liking right maybe i'm a little bit annoyed that it's maybe not the best but it's not gonna fucking dictate my entire night and most likely if i have one bad experience i just won't go back again i'm not gonna fucking sit there and write a review but anyway, we can we move. Another person. Reset a bad experience at Basement and Why. My friends waited in line for an hour, only to be greeted by a manager who asked why we were there. I'm surprised people are getting triggered by being asked why you're there. Surely, if you're that excited to go to a party or go to a rave, right? Or go to a club night or to see a DJ, you should, oh my God, I can't wait to come and see. Or actually, I'm here to see the fucking closer. It's this person, this, like, that's actually quite interesting. Like, why are you here? Why did you come here? Like, you just decided on the whim, just, like, come on, man. That's a bare minimum. Oh, anyway, oh my God, it's a fucking essay. When we uh, uh, responded that we were there to have a good time. <laughs> I think American people have the same thing that we have in England. We don't really do well with door picking culture. It's not a thing. I think that's the reason I remember reading or watching a documentary on Studio 54. That's part of the reason why Studio 54 kind of crumbled. Studio 54, that documentary, right? it's really good because what it details is that it was first a quote-unquote community space a kind of a safe haven for the lgbtq plus scene right in some respects then it turned into like a celebrity hangout and a cool spot and then the priority kind of shifted in terms of getting kind of the people in from the community in and most of celebrities and i think that's what led to the end because then the regular people got disgruntled they caused a ruckus outside and that eventually led to the fucking closure of the club that is what i think led to it so in general america and britain we kind of share that kind of similar vibe when it comes to clubs people just feel like if they have money they can get in that's why door you know clubs in central london that have door picking things or make you wait in line and only let girls at a certain time they also have bad reviews but people hate that people just expect if they have money they can get in they don't understand the concept of door picking or why it's useful um, in clubs and shit. They don't get it, which is why it usually only works in certain places like Berlin and shit. And for the most part, other places, it doesn't work because people just don't fuck with it in the slightest. They don't understand. I have my money. Why can't I go to a club? Let me in. You know what I mean, they don't fucking get it. Um, it takes a lot to kind of get them around to it. And even if you do explain it, it still sounds a little bit, you know, pick and choose, discriminatory, whatever. Anyway, we move. It says, um, when we responded that we were there to have a good time, he abruptly told us to leave, <laughs> claiming that the club wasn't for us. As an Asian person, I couldn't help but feel discriminated against and targeted for no reason. <laughs> it was clear that the manager's actions were a senseless attack on minorities, specifically Asian community. Come on, that's a fucking stretch. Come on. Because of your one bad experiences, all Asians are not allowed in the club. Um, afterwards we asked the security personnel for an explanation 
but they were unable to provide any legitimate reasons for the manager's behavior. They requested, no, they suggested that uh, that our attire or my female friend's sequin dress. <laughs> no Zara dresses. <laughs> no Zara dresses. No Todd's loafers. Like, nah, you're not getting in with those, bruh. They suggested that our attire and my friend's sequin dress may have been um, the cause, uh, but everyone else at the club was dressed similarly, not not more extravagantly. I am appalled by no. To be honest, if you if if your friend is dressing, if your friend has a sequin dress on to go to a, a techno nightclub, you probably don't know what good clothes look like, or you can't probably discern between what people are wearing. I'm assuming, but hey. I'm appalled by the club's discrimination against Asians and their complete discard for our time and enjoyment. This experience has left me feeling disrespected and humiliated. I will never return to the basement NY club. I urge others to be cautious when considering this establishment as their treatment of minorities is completely unacceptable. Come on, man. Stretch. Um, another one says, have come here for a bunch, received very bad experience from the guy at the door, tall black man, Ooh, the black men are racist he was racist to me and let all my brown friends in line before us but not one white man so white man is complaining about not being let into a club welcome welcome sir welcome have a seat have a seat next to us have a seat have a seat but not one. <laughs> i decided to let half my friend group in and not and the other half we were all dead sober so this is hilarious. Whoever the security guard is at basement, I'll give you props. He let in all, <laughs> he let in all the brown friends and denied all the whites. <laughs> well done. We were all dead sober. Very rude. Whenever someone says that, they're lying. Dead, like Whenever someone mentions how sober they were, they're lying, basically. Um, very rude and disrespectful and did not give us a refund or reason. Very pretentious considering we have come here multiple times. We already had tickets. <laughs> Last one here. Basement is an abhorrent institution that rejected a group of five of my friends for no given reason. Claiming it was a private location. Basement claims to be LGBTQ plus friendly community that turned away six openly queer people on Pride Night who had tickets for no reason. Bruh, nah man. If you want to go to a fucking Pride Night... You can't be queer. You have to kind of go for the. You have to go for it all the way. Are you gay or not? No queer. No queer in between. Queer is another night. Another night you can do the whole queer thing. But if you want to come into a pride night, are you gay? Yes or no. If you're not, fuck off. I'd imagine if, if it was me and I was in a gay club, the last thing I'd want is fucking, you know, ambiguous, I'm not too sure, queer, I kiss the girl on a night out, people. Nah. I want gay people in there and that's it. Straight stay at home. That's all you want. It's fucking pride. It's fucking pride, man. It's your one night. You get to fucking gay it up. Why do you want fucking people that are like, oh, I kissed a girl once on my staff night. I fucking a work party. Yeah? I kissed a man for a finance. That's not queer, bruh. That's you just being freaky and a bit horny. Are you gay or not? If you're not, go away. Go to another club. Go to, two, what are they called? Go to, um, uh, I don't know, those bars, those cocktail bars that have dance floors in. That might work out for you. Anyway, when, when, when we asked for a reason, the bouncer said um, they might be because we had never been before. Incorrect. Or for vibe reasons. I love that they're saying that on the, on the floor, on the door. Because at Burkine, if you get rejected, 
They just tell you to fuck off, basically, if you ask too many questions. They're not really going to tell you shit. And people sometimes do say, hey, why? But most people don't because they're scared of their bounces. But if you do ask, they don't really tell you. They tell you after a while, hey, go, go away. It's my house. You're not allowed in. No, so that's what they say. At the end, if you keep going, they'll say, it's my house. I'm not, I'm not letting you in or something. But I love that the bouncers in fucking New York are saying, you don't match the vibes. You're not a good vibe. Like that, That's quite insulting. <laughs> that's actually quite hurtful. Someone telling you don't pass the vibe, aka you're not cool. Go home. <laughs> Go watch a boiler room set or something. <laughs> Get fucked. Um, another bouncer threatens to carry us out of the club and then denied that he physically threatened us. That's not physically threatened. That's just a suggestion. Would that be to carry you out of the club? <laughs> Considering the long history of homophobia in club settings, it's absolutely repulsive that this institution will hold a pride night and then have this bouncers physically threaten visibly queer ticket holders. What does visibly queer mean? What does that even mean? Visibly queer. Was you fucking snogging Samantha from finance in the fucking line, hoping that'd get you in? Was you wearing a sequin dress? <laughs> Physically queer. We were inquiring about the legality of this. Do you know, God, legality. If you care about the safety of queer people in nightlife. <laughs> legality, yo. People are such dorks, man. There's nothing, there's nothing more lamer than getting rejected at a club and then causing that much of a stink. In, you know, the only thing more lamer than that is actually going to a club in the first place. The fact that I go to Berghain and that I subject myself to these fucking techno nightclubs and these clubs in Fold in London and shit and I'm out here queuing and I'm going to forests to go and party in warehouses. I'm lame anyway. I'm fucking lame, right? Cool. We know that. But in my head, I think I'm cool, but the action of itself is fucking lame. The last thing I'm going to do is start ranting and raving if I don't get in somewhere or if it doesn't match my fucking expectations. I might not like something. Cool. I'll say my two-piece, but I'm not going to look into the legality of it or, you know, fucking put out a warning signal for people. Don't come here. Your safety might get... It's like, come on, man. Relax. Relax. It's not that deep. Really, it's not that deep. But again, I think most people don't go out with a knowledge of what they want to expect in nightclubs, uh, of what to, you know, no research. They're not going there finding out who's playing, the understanding of the culture, of the club, um, whatever it may be. And they're just expecting to just pull out their wallet, go somewhere and get expected to go into places because they have the money to go in places. And some places are not like that. Some people take a lot more care in the kind of, you know, in sort of like programming the space and make sure everyone sort of fits in the vibe and kind of adds to it. Because unfortunately, the main point of the clubs is most clubs are the same. Apart from the sound and stuff, most clubs are basically the same. The thing that makes and breaks clubs for the most part is the vibe on the inside. It's the community that's in there. And sometimes you can cultivate that yourself based on very strict door policies. And it can be hurtful for some people, but usually in the long run, it does help to kind of make sure the club is thriving and successful and a fun place for people to actually go in there week in, week out, unfortunately. Because that's the reason why people are going there. They're obviously going to the basement because it's a fucking fun time in there because they've done a really good job to cultivate the fucking, you know, the, the people that go in there, the community, and make sure it's all good. So it kind of is what it is, really, in that respect. You kind of have to know where you fit in. You kind of have to know where you fit in. But hey, what do I know? What do I know? What else do we need to talk about here? Oh, let's talk about this quickly. So also this, right? Um, I'm really upset about this, kind of, in passing. I mentioned, or I just realized and noticed this, actually, today on the fucking timeline, the rapper fucking Lato 
is out here in London gallivanting around, doing her hot girl shit, living her life. And for some reason, I don't know what happened or when this happened, but for some reason, the fucking baddies and the hot girls of fucking Instagram have finally found out that fucking New Rock boots exist. Look at her. She's wearing fucking New Rock boots. My um, metal techno boots of choice that I've been wearing for many, many, many a years um, because they're essentially a more rugged and sturdier version of a Dr. Martin. They give you a little bit extra height and they're just kind of indestructible really and really kind of cool to wear with some of the stuff that I like to wear day to day in terms of some of my pieces from like Vetmar and like Rick Owens and Balenciaga and shit they kind of fit that aesthetic really really well and I've been wearing them for a while anyway regardless of that I used to wear these things with fucking skinny jeans back in the day but now for some reason all the hot girls of Instagram and the baddies and stuff have finally discovered fucking New York boots and it's really upsetting because now it means New York boots have become the new Dr. Martins or actually New York boots have become the new Buffalo sneakers. There was a period in time where Buffalo sneakers, the really stacked and thick ones, were kind of counterculture, kind of a little bit edgy. And then over time, they kind of got co-opted by hipsters and shit, and they got turned into the normie shoe of choice. And now loads of normies are wearing fucking Buffalo sneakers. And the kind of cool factor of Buffalo sneakers is completely gone. And now I feel like the same thing is happening with New York boots. And I feel like New York boots were so... I think aggressive looking, right? And maybe a little bit more out there that it would kind of put off the regular person because also they're not the most comfortable shoes in the world. I've owned a couple of pairs and let me tell you, right? They, it takes a lot to kind of make them comfy. You kind of have to wear them in a lot, but they're not, the, you know, they're not fucking, they're not Vans or a pair of Converse's. So the fact that she's wearing them anyway and actually loving them clearly is very painful for me because it's clearly an indication of the popularity of the shoes and the fact that most likely now going forward, I won't be able to find them for super cheap like I used to. Because in the past, I used to purchase them for cheap, used on, you know, sites like eBay and shit and get them, especially in my big boy sizes, in all these type of different designs that I'd usually rock and wear and usually kind of parade around town when I go out and party with my friends out there. And I've got a good example for you based on my flipping Instagram post that I posted, what? In 2020, just before the pandemic. This might have been the last time I went actually to Bergheim before the pandemic, actually in 2020, where look what I'm wearing there. A pair of fucking New Rock boots I had on. And they were, you know, I still got them now. And a few other boots that I wear also with that kind of garb. But I've been wearing these for ages, way, way beyond 2020. And now I feel like everybody's going to be jumping on them because clearly they've become the trendy boot of choice. And I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happens because I always felt, like I said, I always felt like New York boots just looked a little bit more aggressive than DMs and that the normie average person on road will see New York boots and think they look a bit too goth, they look a little bit too metal, they look a little bit too quote-unquote white and they wouldn't want to wear them. But now it feels like my brothers and sisters have finally found them and now they're going to become super popular or the kids are going to wear them and it's all going to be fucking what it is. And I really am upset about that. I'm not going to lie. I'm absolutely heartbroken about it and I wish this wasn't true. But unfortunately, my New York babies that I absolutely love and adore have now been co-opted by one of the biggest rappers in the world at the moment. One of the hottest female rappers out there is wearing them and absolutely freaking them. Probably a lot better than I am, to be fair. In this kind of vintage um, Kristen Dior vest top with the kilt and the boots, she maybe kind of kills my look. 10 times over even though i've got some designer on here that you can't see because it's all fucking black and look like a ghost here but 
it does look really, really good. <laughs> so big of her for smashing it. But I am a bit gutted that my New York boot fascination might have to be tempered somewhat because now everybody is on them. Everybody is on them. And that makes me upset. I'm not going to lie. It does make me slightly upset. But hey, what can you do? What can one do? Moving on from that, I want to touch upon this. Um, obviously, the yeah, this is what it's actually. Yeah, this is um, courtesy of Berghain. We finally have the August lineup for Berghain and what they're going to be doing here in terms of the programming, which I'm absolutely excited about because this is finally going to be the month. Malika Mahmoud, who I don't really know, but coming on from there, we've got this lineup here the first um, weekend of August, which is fucking bussing. We've got Blauan playing, um, Daria. You've got GGFM, Franz Jager, Kaiser, Renee Wise playing all in the same flipping lineup. And if I'm not mistaken, if you go on Renee Wise's Instagram, he has hinted that he's going to be closing. So if you're a fan of Renee Wise, a fucking Brighton legend, definitely go and check him out on the fucking 5th of August because he will be closing Bergheim, which is a fucking massive honor and obviously goes to show how well regarded he is because people are fucking loving Renee Wise lately. Productions, DJing, overall vibe uh, i'm seeing some of my friends that i'm kind of friendly with in the terms of the techno space on on instagram and shit who are essentially traveling around europe to go and watch him play in places which is fucking cool that goes to show how good you are in terms of the dj and shit that people are doing that that's amazing to see um so big up him um and then of course in panorama bar you've got dj minx floor plan um k alice karen nyman here You've got Nat Wendell, OK Williams, Stacey Hot Wax. Um, then you've got Weirdos Night happening, which is great. Catnap playing there on the Thursday. Lido. Um, and then a Refugee Worldwide Night happening. And then I think the one that I'm interested in mostly, if I scroll down, is most likely going to be... Oh, then this kitten playing as well. God damn it. That's a really good one here as well. Saturday, the 19th of August. You've got Jacko Jacko, Josie Rebel, Kitten Quest... Um, Rolando, Rog Unit, and Rod Had. That's a stellar lineup. But the lineup that I'm probably looking forward to going to when I eventually get out there will be this lineup on the 26th, which is fucking bussing. It's got Boris, who I haven't seen play actually. All the times I've been to Bergheim, he's a fucking legend and a resident um, and somebody that's always playing at all the special events there. But I've never actually seen him play, and I'm really curious to see him play because he's a very um, um, eccentric DJ in terms of like the stuff that he plays he goes all over in terms of genres and he's more of a you know he's not like a technically proficient you know mixing super tight dj but he's more so like a vibe kind of guy which i kind of like because it kind of reminds me of those kind of old school 80s early 90s house djs who sometimes wouldn't just be technically efficient but would just be able to know how to sequence a good set together so you've got boris dvs1 francois x who i'm a big fan of jazz who i love lol snake who i rate a lot who also is kind of getting a lot of ratings in Bergheim, clearly, because she's played a few times there and keeps getting invited again and again and again. So clearly it left a good impression. Luke Hess, Polo Genia, and then in Panorama Bar, which is one of my favorite lineups so far I've seen on there. you got Agnia, you got Gerd Janssen, who I'm a big fan of, Key Clef, um, and Barkhammer, who I feel like is very, very underrated in terms of house DJs um, in that sort of space. Nick Hopner, again, a very un underrated DJ. Um, Soundstream, who has, you know, 
I've played these tracks fucking numerous amounts of times in my sets. Always a big fan. And Virginia, who's a fucking legend also, who I'm a big fan of and excited to see. So a lot of really, really good people here on this lineup. And this is something that I'm probably going to be eager to probably go and check out um, in August. So that's on the 26th. I cannot wait for that. I'm really, really, uh, really, really um, eager to kind of go and see that because, again, it's been a really long time since I've fucking been there, I feel like, even though I think the last time I went there might have been like, was it February? It might have been February last time I've been. Um, I've been kind of avoiding going there this summer because it's so warm and I'm so fucking anti-fucking hot weather. But I'm going to have to give it a go, man. I'm going to have to give it a go and fucking make it fucking um, over there. And again, if I can, if I can squeeze in doing two fucking gigs i might end up trying to do the fucking um rene wise night also but i'm trying to also go to amsterdam into the month i'm trying to do so much i don't know that i'm trying to work out but if i can i might actually try and figure out a way to maybe just do a quick like fly in over the weekend stay out have one night of accommodation and then kind of fly back on the monday let's see how that kind of rolls and how that kind of works out but i am looking forward to these nights but yeah august is absolutely stacked um for the most part i feel like august um doesn't feel like it's stacked with all the big djs it feels like it's stacked with kind of loads of heads that you know people that are into the music into the scene would actually be a fan of maybe this is kind of the part of the process because it's summer and everyone's out in festivals hard to put people and shit with exclusivity contracts but i feel like they're still doing a good job of introducing a lot of people that i haven't heard of and a lot of people that i have heard of who haven't had maybe a time to shine and be able to play there for a while name in question would be something like a tornado wallace who i initially realized there elisa rose who's playing also there um yeah loads of people that i don't really see um playing here often i also getting a chance which is great because clearly some of the bigger people they may be steering away from or maybe are already busy doing other things but it looks like it's going to be fucking awesome and i'm really tr truly excited to go there and i cannot wait to go there in august and i think what i might end up doing is probably doing a, a flying in on the thursday so i have a chance to go to some of the other venues because i haven't been to this other open air space they have there called else that looks pretty cool um and a few other places that have a nice kind of outdoory open air type of vibe to kind of check out because you know those places you only can see them in the summer um usually so that might be a good thing to do and of course places like club division air which i'm always kind of a big fan to check out but for so so far so good august 2023 lineup looks fucking amazing cannot wait to check it out and you can see yourself on the berghain website if you want to check it if you want to check it Anyways, that's been the Exxon Ziggy Show episode number two. Not two. Six nine two actually. It's actually going well. Six nine two. Thanks so much for tuning in. Been a pleasure to have your company as per usual. If it's your first time watching my show, make sure you smash the like button for me down below. If you listen to it via the audio platform, all you have to do is is share it. Share it. That's what you gotta do. Just share it and I'll be happy about that. Just share it. I'll be more than happy. But apart from that, thank you for tuning in. Big up everybody in the stream chat here. Who's hanging in there? Who's still here in the stream chat? Let me see you guys. Big up uh, my uh, Mao mate who says here, yes, Elsa and Renard also opened a new club called M01. Yeah, oh yeah, true. And check that out too. Thank you for the recommendation. August lineup is a battle festival season. It's a sick billing. Yeah, thank you for that. I'll definitely check that out to my list. I've actually forgot. I think I mentioned it on the podcast, actually, that new club, um, M01. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, big up everybody in the stream chat that was here earlier, 730Z, who's John Africa, Koila, and everybody else that was here. Appreciate you. Oh, I saw Rodia also here, my band, Giza. Big up you. 
Um, but yeah, big up everybody that hanged in with me. I appreciate all of you. This has been the Excellent Zing Show, episode number 692. It's been a pleasure to have your company. Um, again, if you're watching via the audio platform, you'll hear my tune today, and it's going to phase out now. And I'll be back again later tonight with a random show. If you guys want to hear the comedy-based content, come back then for the random show later tonight. But for now, this has been the Excellent Zing Show. Thank you for tuning in. I'll see you guys again very, very soon. But for now, take care and be safe. Peace.